For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. All right, morning all. Lines are open. You can text 0868 104 106. If you have a story to share, you can also pick up the phone on 0818 104 106. Lovely to be back. Thank you to Kevin and indeed to uh, Jonathan Healy and to Mick Mall and Seamus and Claire while I was away. Uh, keeping the show on the road. A uh, lot to look forward to actually this week, in all fairness, in spite of weather issues. I know we've got the Ironman and y'all at the weekend. We've got Cork and a Fork kicking off from Wednesday. Uh, so try and accentuate the positive. I think sometimes we think way too often that we're in a Mediterranean country and we hope the weather's going to be the same as there. And it's not. And we get a bit down when we don't get delivered good summers. And unfortunately, so far, in spite of a cracking start, it just hasn't delivered. Anyway, uh, is, that a, is that a kind of a negative way to start a radio programme for a week? If it is, it's not meant to be. Listen, our, our thoughts, and I think I speak on behalf of all Corkonians this morning, our thoughts are with the family of that young boy who was seriously injured in a road traffic collision, left a young boy in a critical condition. Last Saturday morning, around about 20 past nine at, uh, in the morning, he was riding his bike and he was in a collision with a motor car, apparently a, a male child cyclist. Uh, he was originally transferred to the CUH and has since been transferred to the Children's Health Ireland at, uh, you know, the Children's Health Hospital in Temple Street. And he's still in a, a critical condition, um, certainly up to, up to yesterday. So our thoughts are with him and the family. It's a story that makes the echo today. And from the echo uh, to the examiner where Anne Murphy has a story um, which he managed to get together and put on the uh, examiner this morning, um, protecting the anonymity of the mother. But she talks about her son, who's an autistic lad living with autism. He's a 15-year-old. He's on all sorts of medication for anxiety and, and ADHD. What I find interesting is that his condition has worsened since he, um, since he, he started going into puberty and God knows I've spoken with many parents who've had to deal with, you know, extra challenges with the, usually the cause that I have. A lot of them are with, with mothers and sons, but that isn't to say it wouldn't happen with the daughter as well. As they hit teenage years, things become much more difficult to manage. And that's what she's saying, actually. She's an East Cork mother. Now, again, it just shows the appalling state of this country. In spite of the fact that we have bumper tax receipts and apparently record low unemployment, it's impossible to get any of the services that we should be entitled to, whether you're a taxpayer or not. It should just come as a gimme uh, when you're an Irish citizen. But unfortunately, way too often, certainly for Irish citizens, um, much of what they should be provided with, they're not provided with. She's got a 15-year-old son. Uh, she has to sleep with her bedroom door locked. She has to hide all of the knives in their home because of threats that he makes about killing her. Uh, she wasn't ever able to get any emergency respite for her son. The HSE do what they're very good at, apologising for the lack of respite care and saying that they'll examine the case. Um, his mother is the boy's full-time carer. She lives in fear of her life. Anne Murphy in the examiner this morning says she even applied for a home care package to give her a few hours complete daily tasks to do other daily tasks rather than 24-7 minding her son. But... I know you won't be believed when I tell you that too was refused, the home care package. He is crippled with anxiety. Anxiety is a beast which causes his behaviours to escalate and spiral. She says he becomes impulsive, unpredictable, aggressive and rigid. It's got to the point where we are hiding the knives. He wants to kill me. He wants to choke me. He's obsessed with death, violence and execution. In fact, she's, as I say, she's taken, uh, she, since he's hit puberty, things are coming an awful lot worse, but she's taken his computer away now 
because of um, the interaction and the sites that he's visiting online. He's obsessed with knives and guns. And that is an article that makes the front and inside pages of the Examiner this morning. You can read the rest of it in detail. And I would imagine that people, there are people listening to me now who have similar stories to that and living with similar challenges. If you'd like to share, please do so. Don't feel as if you're alone. Uh, email Neil at redfm.ie, text 0868104106. I very much admire um, Brendan Courtney. I really do. He's, he's a fine broadcaster, knows his stuff, and very kind to his mum and dad. And he campaigned for many years with regards to his dad, Frank, after he was paralysed with a stroke with trying to get care for him. He has now turned his attention to his mother, Nula, who's, in her eight, who's 80. She's in a hospital recovering from surgery, but she was, she's unable to go home without 24-hour care. Now, um, Nula um, has dementia, but she made her children promise that they'd look after her when her time came, rather than putting her in a nursing home, that they would look after her themselves. And he wants to deliver on that promise. He makes a very fair point, actually. Uh, I was reading the article in the, in, the, in the mail this morning. He says there should be changes to the Fair Deal nursing home scheme that would allow people who want to care for their parents at home to do so and to be able to apply for the fair deal scheme where somebody could come into the home to mind and they would pay their contribution under the fair deal scheme rather than the parent going to a nursing home. Makes perfect sense. I don't know the reason why um, that couldn't be incorporated into the fair deal scheme as nobody ever thought of doing it in the past. So that's interesting. A couple of different stories of people who are struggling uh, to make life uh, better. One in the sense of um, you know, Brendan Courtney's mother and the East Cork mother with her uh, son living with autism and all sorts of complicated issues. It pretty much is time, and many are saying it now, for Justice uh, Minister Helen McEntee to step up and get tough and allow perhaps the guardie to get tough without having one hand tied behind their backs and let them get on with the job. And if that means being tough with criminals, let them be that way if it's going to make our streets safe or else she just should quit. Uh, yeah, I am saying that, but so is the star on its front page this morning. Now, a teenage boy's been arrested in connection with a serious assault and robbery on Temple Bar in the Temple Bar area on Friday night. Yes, uh, another one. This is three tourists from the UK badly injured, hospitalised after the incident. So um, one of the teenagers, actually, one of them was this young fellow. He's going to be in court now. He's 17. He's going to be in court today, charged with the alleged assault. It's interesting because at the weekend, I read in the journal.ie that they spoke to one of the victims. <clears throat> didn't want to be named. He said it was their first time in Dublin. He says they were on a weekend break. He, uh, he said they'd been visiting a few different pubs. I think they were part of a, f- a soccer team. If it could have been soccer or rugby, I'm not quite sure. And they were over playing a couple of matches, but they were socialising. <clears throat> went to Temple Bar and they should be able to do that safely. So walking along one of these streets, himself and his, his buddies, three of them in total, uh, when they were walking from one bar to another bar in the Temple Bar area, they came around a corner. There was a guy sitting on a chair, he says, and we came close to him. He asked us, did we want to buy drugs? We said we didn't and we kept walking. Suddenly, from behind, of course the cowardly attacks are always from behind, these guys came running behind and attacked us from behind. There was four of them. Uh, he was talking about what happened to himself. He said, they hit me straight in the head really hard. I fell to the ground, but I landed in a way that I couldn't get up and sprint away. And I ran as fast as I could down the street. Uh, he landed in a way so that he could get up quickly and he was able to sprint away into an ice cream shop doesn't know what happened to his pals until he found them later in hospital. Um, he was in the hospital himself, but he said he sat inside in the ice cream shop. He said everybody was lovely to them. Passers-by, people in the ice cream shop, the Garda Shikona, 
the detectives when they came to, to help, but he describes what happened in the latest Temple Bar attack. We shared some video over the weekend, actually, of another uh, punch down around, I think it was, is it like the junction of the Grand Parade, Oliver Blunkett Street area, where we shared, shared that, two guys squaring up to each other, and then one guy goes, bam, and the other character just goes down and out. Uh, so it's not anything exclusive to Dublin, I can tell you. But for some crazy reason, if you want to be a Garda, you cannot have tattoos. It's the most ridiculous rule in 2023, I've heard of in a long, long time. So much so that apparently some cadets, three of them, were sent home from training college uh, to have their tattoos removed. It's bizarre, actually, in the middle of a recruitment crisis in the force that you would send three people home who really and truly are very excited about becoming members of Mangarda Shikona because they have tattoos. Apparently there is a rule on Mangarda Shikona that you can't have them. Now, whether you can have them visible or Invisible, I don't know, in the sense that hidden by clothes or not, but it makes no sense. I mean, wh- why, why is this rule for Gardaí? Is it for all public sector workers? No. Is it for politicians? No. Is it for doctors, nurses? No. So why Gardaí when they're desperate to get people to actually join on Garda Shikona? Um, there seems to be some good news for some parents, not all parents, because some of this is means-tested, where in the coming budget, there might be another re- de- de- reduction or decrease in the cost of college fees. And for some, it could come down. If you look at the two budgets, 23 and 24, it would come from 3,000 to 1,000 in college fees. So a big reduction for some who would be on lower income levels. And they could see another grand coming off their college contribution. It's a story that makes the, the uh, mail today. And unfortunately, while I hate mentioning the C word, and um, uh, I know an awful lot of people say we shouldn't even talk of COVID anymore. We should just live with it. And indeed, I am one of those. But the papers are honing in both here and overseas, uh, certainly in the UK. Health officials confirming that we have seen an increase in COVID infections. There's a new strain around. Don't know whether they've given it a name or not, but it's... Um, it's a tough one, and it's showing that we've been hit by 64 different variants of interest um, in the past few months, by all accounts. And one of, one of the reasons, apparently, certainly in the UK, where there's been a fresh COVID spike, they're saying in the Telegraph of the weekend, is because of Barbenheimer. So many people are going to the movies, or films, or the pictures, and cinemas are full of them. So I didn't need to, don't need to overly explain that. You get that, uh, Barbie and... Uh, and when you put the two films together, Oppenheimer, you get Barbenheimer and so many people going up close and cosy. Uh, and the variant spreads because of that. Incidentally, there's another Barbie on the way. So it's come on, Barbie, let's go party two. Uh, Barbie bosses, they're so blown away by the success of Barbie that they want to make a second one. Barbie 2. Don't know what the storyline would be or the plot. I'm quite sure they'll come up with something. But, you know, from COVID to other stories... Um, you know, that one to you know, freak you out on Monday morning, first thing to be talking about bed bugs. But there's also been an increase in bed bug infestation. Uh, and apparently, they're saying in the Telegraph of the weekend that one of the reasons is people are absolutely infatuated with secondhand furniture, furniture. And they love the idea of upcycling, that they're buying all of these secondhand pieces of furniture and bringing them into their homes. But in the little joints, Right? And on the underside and where the legs meet the table up there and the kind of little difficult bits to get, that's where the bed bugs are living. And you're bringing them into your house. And they say that there's, in the UK anyway, a 65% rise in bed bugs because of secondhand furniture. The other reason, actually, is travel. 
Uh, you're bringing them back in your suitcase, by all accounts. There's been an explosion in them. Uh, in other news this morning, some of a lighter note, Killian Murphy is favoured to win Best Actor Gong. I hope it happens for him. He deserves it for Oppenheimer. It's a story making the mirror today. And Jim Sheridan is making another film based on the uh, death of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. He didn't manage to get the family into his last documentary. They did work with Netflix, but not with Jim Sheridan. He hopes they will this time around. Um, filming is due to start in West Cork later this year. It'll be a 90-minute documentary style, probably a docudrama, you know, with actors in it as to who played the different parts. I do not know. Uh, but I don't know that he's helped his case with getting the uh, de Plantier family to cooperate with it because he's quoted in the papers this morning as saying... As far as I'm concerned, there's no chance that Ian Bailey killed her. There is no DNA against him, no blood and no evidence. Uh, The family, of course, would very strongly refute that based on the fact that Bailey was found guilty in a French court in abstentia. So as to whether they'll actually cooperate or not, I don't know. Papers also talk of all sorts of different ways to eat food. And we've heard so much in the past, say, for instance, of lab beef or lab fish, as in fish and beef created in the lab. What about 3D printer food? They've managed now to print and make, and apparently it's edible. Don't know if it's tasty, but I suppose everything's edible. If you melt down a traffic cone, I suppose you can eat it. But it's vegan calamari, uh, which they've made using a 3D printer and ink made from algae and something called mung beans. Neither of which (laughs) sound... (laughs) Sound very tasty to me. They certainly don't, and I'd pretty much try anything apart from the only things I've ever the only things I've failed to to actually to eat in spite of trying on numerous occasions is tripe and drachine. Uh, I'll keep on trying in that regard. And if you like um the different developments in the world of driving and not necessarily e-cars, although they would be electric cars. These are the driverless taxis, which would be robot cars, self-drive cars. They've just um, apparently given license to two of the big companies, Waymo and Cruise. Cruise is actually owned by General Motors. And in San Francisco now, you can hail on an app and a car will arrive with no driver and you can sit into it and it is just a, um, a driverless taxi. So you'll have Passengers now all over San Francisco sitting in the cars on their own, hoping that they don't crash. So that's how quick things are moving, uh, moving quick. Like in Ireland, you can you can get some Teslas already that do have a lot of self-drive capability, and they're on our roads. And you mightn't even know it that you're probably driving alongside uh, a self-drive car that has some of the uh, features that you know um, probably be rolled out with more and more cars in the not too distant future. But that story that Kelly mentioned in the 9 o'clock news there with regards to learner drivers. So these are stories of people who went for their test, right? It's a story in the Irish Times this morning under a Freedom of Information request where um, some of the complaints that uh, testers... I, I guess the, the the complaints are from the people who fail. You're never going to get anybody who passes their test going to call a driving tester evil. You're not going to get somebody who's passed their test say that the tester was obnoxious or shouted at them all the time um, or constantly roared and screamed about their mistakes. Um, a few of them are very interesting. One fella got into hot water even before he got into the car because he couldn't find the car. He came out of the test centre with the tester and the tester said, where's the car? And it, it just, just the whole stress and the nervousness of it, he just, mind went blank. I, I don't know. It's like the rest of us. We, we don't know what level we park our cars in in a car park. We get confused. 
So that apparently is one of the nitpicks that are quoted in the Irish Times this morning. Being scolded for whizzing past cars too fast in spite of the fact that they were travelling at the speed limit. Uh, cutting out three times on a hill. The tester starts shouting and screaming um, and then brings them back to the test centre where they say, so, and I hate starting sentences with the word so, but the tester says, so, comma, obviously you failed. Uh, Making a big deal of the learner driver who forgot where they parked their car. Uh, I forgot the exact location. Uh, the tester told them this is a bad start. Um, Another one said that the the examiner was rude, grumpy, um, we were not allowed to sit in. The, we were not allowed to sit the test as we were. I was one minute late arriving. Uh, rules are rules, but I think a minute either side of it. Maybe that's a little bit extreme. Obnoxious shouted at me twice. In fact, the shouting contributed contributed to many of my mistakes. And a final one um, here is a complaint said I was told to pull down the driver's side window for the test despite the torrential rain resulting in the driver, of course, getting soaked. There's that and lots more besides. I'm quite sure that there's people listening to me also have driver tester anecdotes. So do share. Text 0868104106. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and away we go. Um, lots of other colour stories that will come to throughout the course of the morning, but I'm just conscious of time. At the weekend, the lads pub, uh, printed, sorry, at the weekend the lads shared a short video of a builder up on the roof of an extension right and he's got a a chainsaw and apparently he is literally dismantling the extension because he claimed that he couldn't get paid for it there was also i don't have it in front of me but i know that he also put up some kind of post on on facebook asking a lot of other tradespeople to come and support him at a protest outside the home of the people who wouldn't pay him. But the builder took a chainsaw to an extension that he built after the property owner allegedly refused to pay him. Uh, And the video footage that we've shared, you can see it up on Facebook. He fires up the chainsaw, you know, and then starts hacking away at the roof. He also erected signs in the area, naming and shaming the house address. We're asking people what their thoughts were on this. If you couldn't get paid, if you can't get paid, right? And the, and the sign said, and it's got the address of the house, did not pay for building work. So if you tried and tried and tried and tried to get paid for something, and it's a fine looking extension and it's complete and everything. But if you can't get paid for it, what are you supposed to do? Like just walk away? Um, I don't think so. Uh, you're out of pocket for, I don't know how much it could have been. It could have been 50 grand. It could have been 100 grand. Um, the only other option, of course, would be to take them to court. Gardy won't be interested because it's a civil matter. But I was wondering, does this happen to tradespeople? Jim Hearn is in construction um, and says that the builder is now in trouble. Why do you say that, Jim? Well, I mean, he's, he's down to committing criminal damage now. Um, like what he should have done was use the courts. Uh, you can't just go in and, and, and do that to a property after you do the works. Anyway, if the works are good, why would you damage it, you know? But he should, he should have just gone to court, licked his wounds and done, done it the correct way. You can't just go in and start ripping up like that. He's in big trouble, you know. It, for not going down the legal route? Absolutely. He should be all kind. Imagine taking chainsaws to everyone that don't pay you. Mother of God, it doesn't make a bit of sense. Yeah, but tell I mean, me, um, do many builders or tradespeople get caught for stuff like this? Very, very few. Very few. Um, and it would be just down to the client. There are clients out there that are clients from hell. 
Um, the the Delhi Ash check is the hardest check to get. That's that was always the thing in construction. Um, and I suppose, look, you could see the frustration on the man. You know, uh, like he was up there. He wasn't just doing it for all of malice. He was frustrated. And I suppose he was tight. He 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 had suppliers to pay and all that. You know, different if you were doing big work and your prices are big, you can take the hits. But he obviously he couldn't. You know. Um, uh, I see. I don't. I don't know whether or not he actually. did I'm assuming that he didn't take it to court. That he got a. Would it be maybe fair to describe it as a rush of blood to the head, and just I, said enough is enough. I'd say that's exactly what he suffered from there. He he just went. He didn't sit back and take some air in and, and breathe. Look, if, if a client is not paying you, they're just not going to pay you. And you're you're contracted. Like most people, like most builders, like would send you an email. There's a price on it. You agree a price. That's a form of a contract. You can use that in court, and the smallest claims court will sit down and judge whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, you, know? you wouldn't get into the small claims court with this though. This is a forty meter square extension at the rear of the property. It's two bedrooms, a bathroom, a kitchen a dining room and a utility room that's a hundred grand all day that's long that's the high court now you see so, so it could cost you 30 grand going to the high court so I can imagine this frustration is it worth your while taking it up to Dublin I I don't know but let's say it's a hundred grand man with chainsaw on roof let's say a hundred grand would he have got stage payments along the way absolutely he would he's only, he's only arguing about the last payment the last payment could be on a hundred grand could be 20 grand you know, so maybe that's all he's arguing about. But anyway, he shouldn't have done it, you see. That's the bottom line. The courts are there for this. We all can't go mad. If the client is wrong, they're wrong. And the judge will, 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 will vote in your favour. Like. Here's some text on it. Well done. If you want work done, you must pay for it, provided it's done to a very high standard. Another person says, fair play to him, good for him, proper order, well done. That's kind of a selection of the majority of comments in support of the builder. Others do suggest that he needs anger management classes. He's definitely not going to get paid now. Another one, fair play to him. It's happening for years. It's not one bit fair on all the workmen doing their jobs and then not getting paid at the end of it. It's that type of person that makes workmen and their families suffer because they still need to pay their bills, put food on the table. Good on them. It's completely wrong. Yeah, I, I suppose it's the opposite of what you've been talking about for years when, when bad tradesmen go in there and, uh, you know, you've often spoke about it there. Uh, whole tradesman will just walk away from a bad job and here we have an extension that looks pretty good and it's just finished he didn't walk away from anything you know so this is it on the other side really isn't it where a builder gets into trouble from the client and there's very little protection for, for the builder you, you generally have to walk away from it it's not worth even suing you know but most look it's very very rare you come across a bad client were you ever caught do you mind me asking I'm dumb into Absol- pride absolutely not too often not too often a few of them alright and we walked away was it much money? Um, I suppose one. The average, like the average, you get caught for is three and a half, four thousand. I did get caught for a hundred grand one time on the project. All right. Oh um, my God, that's an yeah, enormous. And you have to walk away from it, like. But look, that's what you do. I mean, you you can. You know, go to the high why, court. Why did case. you walk away? I mean, how much of can you tell me about that? Did you not go to court? No. Oh, I did, I did, but I walked, I walked away from about, I suppose, 75 of it, and I got the rest, and that was the settlement. But look, it's, that's a long, long, long time ago now, you know. But, um, As in, even when you get the court ruling in your favour, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get paid kind of thing. No, no, it'll be, it'll be down to what you can prove, what you can't prove, and, and then you have to cut your losses as well, you know. You know, to, to walk away from with something is nice. To walk away from nothing is a disaster. But I have to say to you, though, um, and one texter is following up on what I was thinking about it. it. It's his materials, right? 
So it's his bricks, it's his mortar, it's his timber, it's his wiring, it's his plastering. He owns all of that until it's paid for. So he technically can do whatever he wants with it. Well, it's, I, I don't know, but I presume it's different to, um, you know, if you were building a, a new house off spec on, on a greenfield site, um, you get the keys and you have, you know, you put the house up, you have the keys and you have a contract and then you hand over the keys on the last day when all the payments are made. On an extension, like you're moving into a person's home, they're living in the home, you're bringing all this stuff, you're tying some of your stuff into their house. It's a different setup. Um, no, you can't just go in and knock it down or you can't lock them out. You can't say to them, you can't use this stuff and we'd say they've been using we'd say the kitchen and we say if there's power payments the kitchen is up and running now you've no damage to the roof water goes on the kitchen kitchen gets damaged like you've paid for the kitchen no it's damaged because of him like what about the poor builder he sees a family or a couple or whomever inside making the dinner in the kitchen part of the extension that he put up for them the two build the, the two bedrooms the lot the hallway the bathroom and everything it's like they're giving two fingers to the man well, that's what the courts are there for. Look, you could start the project with complete contracts, but once you have emails and a bit of paperwork flowing, you're okay, you know? And once it's all, all the money is through the books, you're fine. But if there's cash involved, you could be, that's another road now, you know? But maybe there was think? cash, maybe there wasn't. I don't know. But would it not be yeah. fair to say that a lot of tradespeople are wait, need the payment of a job that size before they can do any other work, you know, because that's, they can't afford absolutely. to move on? Absolutely, but the way he done it was wrong, and he'd be found wrong as well. You know, it's it's, it's criminal damage. No, like like some of the work he's damaged, they probably have already paid for. So he's damaged work that they've paid for. You know, no, they might they might get an engineer in out to say some of the work is wrong, but the judge won't entertain that. If you go to court in the morning, you hire an engineer, and he signs off as all oh, the work was wrong. The first thing a judge will say is, "Why didn't you hire the engineer at the start of the project?" Yeah. So that that will get no road, doesn't he? You can stack all the engineers you want. It's, it's worthless. You know? So what happens now? Does this become a criminal offence? It, 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 if she wants to take criminal charges against him, she can, but he's definitely not being paid now anyway. Yeah, because the lad said to me, the lad showed me a story there. <clears throat> In Wales, there was a builder, right? And he wrecked a 40, 40 grand's worth of walls. He put up, put up walls to the value of 40 grand. Um, um, and he just erupted into rage when he discovered that, um, you know, I don't know, was there money outstanding? And whatever he did, he... He ended up, uh, he apparently drove a JCB forklift truck, truck into 16 walls that he put up. Yeah. Um, he got 10 months imprisonment suspended. Yeah. Uh, he got instructed to join a 10-day rehab activity requiring 180 hours of unpaid work and had to pay all of the costs of the court appearance as well. Do not anything yeah. about the replacing of the walls, but he ended up in court for sure he did. Well, that's where this is going to go as well. I mean, I remember one time I built a massive garage too, massive brickwork on the outside of it and sweeping arches. And I was a month building just a brickwork on the outside. It was a huge thing. Never got paid. But that was off the contractor. And I remember I was going to go down and he was going to put a rope around the centre pillar and pull it with my jeep. And I got his father tying up the rope. And then he went, oh God, no. Ah, well, you see, <laughs> you got very close to your man who went further and fired up the chainsaw. Yeah, oh yeah, but that's as far as I went. But that's as far as most guys will go. We're all not, listen, we all get a rush of blood to the head, especially when you do good work and then you're not, you're dealing with an idiot, you know. And that wasn't the client, no, that was the builder we were working for at the time, you know. There's a lot, there was a lot of that going out there, plasters and where contractors aren't paid by the main builders. There's loads of that, you know. So, it's, 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 so if the contractors aren't paid, the tradespeople working for the contractors aren't paid. 
Well, sometimes the contractors get paid and they just don't pass on the money. That's, that's what is being more our industry coming through, you know. Is, it, is it getting any better with the availability of trades, do you think? Uh, no, uh, I mean, it's. I think we were doing the apprentice thing last, last week while you were sunning yourself somewhere there, but... Um, yeah, it's just it's just a lack of apprentices. Uh, no, you done very well. I, I put an SOSO for someone to take on an apprentice, and he's after getting a job this week off. I've been contacting him, which is great. You know, thanks to Red FM. Well, well if anybody else is interested in apprenticeships and follow the similar route, let's see if we can do more of that because God knows we need them. It would be fabulous because there's loads of kids out there. Would and all we got to do is just get people to talk to each other because force aren't doing it. That's not what they do. The builders could be out there looking for guys that don't know how to contact guys, so we need to make a link. All right, definitely. All right, my man. And especially over the next over the next month. No, we're as I said, this July and August, and the start of September are the apprentice start dates. You know, so these are the important ones for for guys starting. Okay, okay. If you can make a connection, that'd be fabulous. All right, we can chat some more about it off the air midday. Thanks for now, Jim. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, you can text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Any anybody else being stung in this matter? Has anybody got to extremes like this, like taking a chainsaw to the extension? Jonathan, good morning. How are you Neil? You say if they don't pay, then take it away. Well, I think, especially these days, Neil, with the price of materials and all the builder and everything had to go through to actually get this job finished without even being paid in full themselves. Like, you know, like that extension looked like an expensive job. Like, Would you say 100 grand all day long? Oh, oh, like my, my a neighbour of my mother there she priced an extension before COVID and she got the the quote of 48 grand and this is a double story extension and now she went back in for it and the same extension cost 100,000 in what space of time? 3 years good God 3 years 48 grand up to 100 up to 90, 97 grand is what it's going to cost ok I'll talk about that in a second though but um, have you ever well, have you ever been are you in the trades? I, I used to be on the building line, but um, no, I actually uh, work, I'm a contractor contractor for the ESP. Okay, okay. That doesn't and involve those, building things, though, does it? No, but it involves getting power into people's houses and kind of, you know, like, where they are, we have to get power into a person's house and then a builder that's building the house can come out to us and say, lads, well, you're putting the power in there, is there any chance you can show you? Or ESP, or um, fibre in there, which you are, something in there, which you know, we're like, nah, sure. You have to pay for that yourself. Like that's another towards a different job. Like they'll be trying to get you to throw things in there while you're doing the job, so they don't have to pay it, and they save at the end of the day. Do you know? I suppose that people are caught for money. I suppose they're thinking while you're there. Well, like we have to weave the hole, dug and all. So well, you've got the a hole in the ground. Just so get lots we, more we'll things. We'll throw a pipe it. in there as well, with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you said that's the way I worked. You said if you don't pay. Take it when, away. when I worked with a contractor before, Neil, I know if he didn't get his money after a few days, or well, not a few days, but if he didn't get his money, he would make that person's life miserably. Like, in what he, way? he never went, to, he never went to that full extinct watch him hand him with the chairs. I like, but like, he would just he would go be up at the house every single day, Neil, and he would he would knocking at the door asking for his money every single day without fail. He was like their shadow. Would it always work it, out? Always work out because like, sure they never get rid of him. But what you mind when he took it to a different level? They are all fairness. Like, so but, your buddy just needed to have incredible patience. Well, that's the way he and this fella would wreck your head. But he he's a pain in the hole. <laughs> you know, and he he's was knocking that. Oh sure, if you and the thing is, Neil, that the contractors actually pay for materials and stuff before. The, like they they get a certain amount off the the person that owns the house and then the rest of the contractor has to pay for like 
till the end of the job because like people aren't going to pay cash up front when they know the job's not finished like you know yeah but they'd pay a portion of it though wouldn't they well they pay yeah, and they know then the job is going to be finished and that's the thing they get the job finished they say right well, we're still at 30 grand here or we didn't pay you man and the job is finished so we try to pull a fast one like but it's a very very evil thing to do oh and you know what Neil like, it, if, especially like that extension looked like a, a, like a nice job of a bear and stuff to that builder and like for for them to come then I have to, and do that builder could have two, two or three kids at home and a family and everything like and like if you don't get paid sure you know a man a man has the blood pressure and the, you just lose your temper as very easily when you're being left short money totally, anyway for yeah. good work that you're doing like, no you know it what was I mean? good work it was 40 metres squared that would be huge wouldn't ah, it two bedrooms a bathroom a kitchen dining room that, like, like that took a few, about three months I'd say like. but that two bedrooms a bathroom a kitchen a dining room and a utility room that's a house <laughs> it's a granny flat knee, that's exactly what it is could I just ask you one question before you go because um, I'm just curious as to whether or not people are getting fair quotes now because um, those that are good in the trades and in construction I'm told are very busy is that right? Very busy and lead, I tell you I know two builders you know, and they, they're actually telling people they're not taking on any extensions Okay so they will, they will not take on an extension because they know they're going to be overcharging the person for the job that's not worth the money why would they be overcharging there? Here's my worry. Because that, that, that people, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, because unfortunately hearing that, so, because some of the quotes that I've heard for work seem exorbitant and I'm thinking it's because the, the contractors are quoting ridiculous money hoping that either the person is stupid enough to pay it or will go away. No, well, need I tell you, if, if, if a builder no is quoting a job for four months down the line, so you don't know how many, what materials are going to go up or go down or what's going to happen between them four months or up. So if you give a person a quote for four months' time and you come back in four months and you give them 60 grand, so it could be 75 grand four months' time. But hang on a second, everything's coming down. So why should they be worried about things going up? <laughs> I don't know, is everything coming down at this time, is it? Well, all of the energy costs are coming down. But the energy, but like so if, you you go to if you go to cost builders, they are Dublin builders providers, and you ask for a length of a sheet of steel, a sheet of steel it was only 30 odd euro last year, no, it was 60 odd euro. And you think that will continue to climb then? Oh, up and up, Neil. Even the, the, the people in the shops are even saying it, like, they, these aren't going to come down for a while, and they're definitely not. So there's no greed involved in some of the crazy quotes I've heard? Well, I think some some contractors now are either out to play the game, to be honest. Like you know, you you get you get your you get the fellas that are out to make the few bob, like, but you do get a few genuine ones, like. And that would you say you, like, would you say that the majority of people get more than one quote? Oh, I'd say, and if you if they don't, they think they're stupid. Yeah, true, true. true. Nice like, one, nice. If you one. went to get a car, Neil, and you you, you went to first saw the first car for twenty five grand, and then you went to the next car and it was eighteen grand, like you'd be like Jesus. You'd be like, like a, a demon, wouldn't you? You wouldn't buy the first car you saw in the first no, four quarters. And you shouldn't right. go to the first day. Uh, you shouldn't go get to get your first quarter. You should always go along and get some more. Cheers, Jonathan. Take care of yourself. Vivian's on the way after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Actually, the chap who went up onto the roof with the chainsaw, right, and started to deconstruct the extension, and it's a lot more than just an extension. It's alleged that he carried out the labour for free. Um, he's seen drilling parts of the roof and yelling, this is what happens when you don't pay the effing bill. He also put up lots of different large signs near the around the estate in which the house was, uh, saying did not pay for building work um, and put up different signs on trees and lamp posts and uh, parked his car outside the front in the drive and 
and things like that. Um, awfully, awfully, awfully sad because apparently he's owed the money since April and it hasn't been paid. But anyway, Vivian, good morning. Morning, Neil. Good, my man. It says here that you've been caught multiple times. Is that <laughs> multiple right? Multiple times, yes. She's obvious. Especially when it comes to the extras. Do the people expect, do you know, like do this, do this, and do that. But, uh, they, don't, it's, they don't like paying for the extras, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, happened, that, that happens with the big job. Bits get added on and on, but they're not factoring yeah, yeah. in that it's the cost of the extras. Yeah, they think because you're just, just because you're there, you're going to do it for nothing. Do you know what I mean? Just gonna, that's crazy. So just, and, and, the, and the extras they look for, you need to get it down on paper, or get it signed, get it, so you have something to, to back it up, you know? Yeah, so if there are extras and there are add-ons, you need to constantly add on the costs and show it yeah, to them, yeah. is it? Show it, show it and get them to sign off on it before you do any of this. Because it's like, you could drive on there and do it and then they say, oh no, I didn't want that. And there's the minefield, man. It must have been a mild minefield for you because there's a couple of hundred thousand all in all you were caught, primarily during the Celtic Tiger, was it? Yeah, when we get to the end of the room, there's was caught for a couple of hundred grand. So, mainly from main, big, main contractors, you know, bigger, bigger builders, they would, they would tip up. They went bust? Yes. Well, they, were, they, didn't, they didn't go bust. They're all back around again. You know I mean? That's what so happened with a lot of them. They rose again from the ashes or the supposed yeah, ashes. Yeah. Was that just really that many did. of them just walked away from debt and started again then? Yes, basically. It's just, like, How do you like feel about that, though, when you see them still uh, operating? I'd you'd be upset. But what do you do? You can't do You've no recourse. I, I, at the time, uh, I had no money to go to take any to the high court. And it's, it's massive money to go to the high court, you know, so... And were you told that when you decided, okay, I'm going to go down the legal route? Were you warned? Yeah, my slip, my sister basically told me you're wasting your time. You don't have the money to do it, and they they just keep fobbing you off and fobbing you off. And... Because so, what you'd have to you'd have to divvy up maybe thirty grand to get in the front yeah. door of the high court. You just to get in the door, yeah. That's just crazy. They're like they're, 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 the builder, we've we've you've no backup. You know what I mean? No, you just you just have to walk away. You just constantly constantly being cast. But how, I mean, did that impact on your mental health or your physical health even? Oh, it does, of course. Yeah, geez, I've, I've, I've been uh, half depressed a few times over, you know, maybe what can I do? Just have to dust yourself down and drive on again. And you're still going, you are? You're driving again? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, still tipping away, you know what I mean? But, but you I do things differently. Small, yeah, a lot smaller now, yeah. Like, and, and, and the contract, so I think, like an extension there, and you want to make sure that you have a contract signed and have a, have a stipulation in the contract that all materials are yours until all payments are made in full, you know? That way you, you have recourse to go back and get your, if you have stuff there that you can get back, you know? So do you have some sympathy for the builder with the chainsaw? Oh, Jesus, yeah. I, I, the amount of times I wanted to do anything myself. <coughs> you didn't, though, no, but you came close to no. thinking. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah, damn close a few times, yeah. It's an awful feeling, though, to be out a couple of hundred grand for good work that you did and you never got paid. That's it, like, you know what I mean? I, I have a wife and kids at home, you know? I have bills to pay and like, like you've absolutely no recourse. Like you can't, you just can't get these sorts. You know, most. What do you think it happened to this character, though? Oh, well, he probably gets. He probably end up. Like he'd look, he won't get jailed. Uh, everything's 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 on decline. So yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what will they do? Because I can't imagine that any other builder or contractor would touch that job, knowing that oh, they don't that they're a bad they're bad debt. Oh, you'd be surprised now to listen. I came out of a, a job there a few years back there and uh, I got caught at the end of the job and actually ex-employees of mine went back in to finish it. You know what I mean? Just kind of, there's no loyalty. Like, you know I mean? They probably got money up front first. Yeah, a bigger, they dangled a bigger carrot in front of them. Do you know what I mean? So. 
There's there's an amazing there's an amazing story actually. I was reading it at the weekend. You're in construction. You might or might not be interested in this, but there's a company yeah. that goes around and they buy very very old pubs, right? And the story that I was reading about was a thing called the Crooked Inn. It's a pub that was like 350 years old, right? But it's crooked, yeah. which meant that you could sit at the bar, um, and uh, the bar looked as if it was kind of tilting down. But if you put yeah. a penny up on the bar, the the penny or the coin ran up the bar. Do you know what I mean? It was it was oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. it was incredible. It was like so, apparently it started to sink back in the back end of the 1600s. But there's this company they go around and they buy these prime sites. It, apparently, it's alleged to be a husband and wife who, who run the company. What they do is yeah. they buy them, right? They take possession of them, and then for some unexplained reason. In the wee small hours of the weekend night, of course the pub is closed and everything, it goes on fire and it burns down. (laughs) And then within a couple of days of this pub, the pub's burning down. Another company that is a a subsidiary company of the building company uh, is a, um, uh, a JCB hire company. A JCB goes in and it knocks the pub. (laughs) <laughs> and in the space of like three or four days, you're just left with a pile of rubble and then yeah. they clear the site away. There's no protection order and they build housing or flats or apartments. Oh, yes, like you couldn't be up to some, some people. You couldn't be up to some people. Anyway, so yeah. the police go in then and they investigate it and the fire brigade goes in and everything. And they investigate it and they say that it was arson, right? <gasps> that it was an intentional fire. So the company yeah. then are brought to court they're fined. It's a kind of a small enough fine. Not quite sure how much, but it's fairly insubstantial to them. They pay the fine and they carry on and they build the apartments. Isn't it amazing the acts they come up with? Unbelievable, it's unbelievable. Anyway, you've taken precautions so it won't happen to you again. Fair play. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm saying to like, if, like if, if just get in the contract. Make sure you sign the contract. Put a stipulation until all materials may, remain in your property until all payments have been made. Before, all right. You know? Okay. Take care, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> Text 0868-104-106 after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Somebody says what he did with the chainsaw, etc. was illogical. Wouldn't you take it apart carefully and reuse as much of your material to try and cover your loss? Actually, in the case of those pubs that I was telling you about that were just bought and mysteriously burnt and then demolished, there was one case in particular where the pub had to be rebuilt brick by brick by brick by brick and put back into its original uh, form. But how you would do that with the interior, I have no idea. This other pub I'm referencing where they went in and bought it and apparently it you know, suspiciously burnt down. Uh, it's in the black country in England, right in the middle of the UK, apparently. You can't get further from water than in there. And apparently they, the locals there are saying they have long memories and they're on... They're on kind of like um, on patrol there now, protecting the site. It's an, it's an incredible story. Anyway, some texts this side at 10 o'clock. Good for him. He did the right thing. Uh, things are tough for everyone. So why make it harder on honest, hardworking people trying to pay their bills and keep a roof over their families' heads? It's his material, Neil, his money. Why would you get a builder in if you couldn't afford it in the first place? So I de- say well done to him. Uh, well done to him for standing up for himself and his workers. If you can't afford it, don't book it. 
don't get the work. Even if the property owner didn't have all the money at the start, they should have asked him if it was possible to stage payment it. Half at the start and every so week, every two weeks or what have you. Builders are easy to talk to and they know people have bills, but he still needs to pay his workers and himself. Unfortunately, the law ain't on his side. Raw materials possibly could have been removed, but once he made them part of the house, they belong to the house. And it was through the courts that he should be chasing payment. He'll be the one now who will end up in court, but he'll be the defendant. Uh, Surely there are other ways to get paid. Clearly nobody knows the full story apart from him and the householders. But what if there were children in the house at the time? Um, I I understand that. But uh, even if you were an unpaying family and there was a fill on the roof of the chainsaw, you'd get the children out of the way. There's no protection in this country for business owners. Uh, Okay, he gets to vent But why isn't the state there to help him get his money? I'd imagine there are businessmen on assault charges for similar situations being pushed over the edge to do it. Um, Buy that man a pint. Fair play to him. Just an honest lad trying to make a living. And there are more. Just one or two more. A bit extreme, I think. I certainly certainly wouldn't be getting him to do work for me whether the owner refused to pay or not, there's got to be more to the story. Um, Let me remind you, says a texter, until the final invoice is paid, all materials are owned by him. I bet it said it on the bottom of his final invoice. Probably did. We've all seen those invoices. Yeah, but would they stand up, though? Would they hold water? Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, I just got the actual section of the act that covers Ungarda Shikona and uh, I guess it's like maybe the manual that they use and it's a, a section of it with regards to tattoos and makeup and fingernails and body art, as in body art would be tattoos. Um, so three uh, three people who are training uh, in Garda College in Templemore were sent home because of tattoos. I imagine that it must have been neck or face tattoos because when you look at the the ruling, it says, makeup may be worn, but must not under any circumstances be excessive makeup. Hands will be kept clean. Nails will be kept at a length that will not interfere with duties. And coloured nail polish will not be worn. False nails will not be worn by members when in uniform. Body art, tattoos on the face or visible above the collar are not permitted. All other tattoos, from the neck down, I suppose, will be covered at all times while on duty whether in uniform or in plain clothes. So that kind of clarifies it a little bit. Um, Anything that's visible on the body has to be covered and anything from the neck up is not allowed. I mean, you have to wonder, what in the name of God would be wrong with coloured nail polish? I can understand false nails wouldn't be a good idea because if it was uh, if the if the job got anyway physical, they of course would be would be dangerous. But um, your thoughts on that? Uh, in the world that we live in now, surely things have moved on very very much. That maybe even body art on the face should be allowed. Uh, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Just a couple of texts because a big response to the the. Uh, construction worker, the tradesman, the builder with the with the chainsaw. Uh, I'd have I'll I'll have to respectfully disagree with what he did. Surely he should have gotten the money at some stage if he just had patience. Uh, even though the general view is that he's right, the law will view it differently and say that he can't take the law into his own hands. This builder is in huge trouble now. He'll not only have to pay for the damage, but he'll have to pay the owners of the property the damage that he's possibly done to the rest of their home. At least the house owner got what he deserved. The sad part is that the decent man that spent a fortune on building materials now has to lie with the loss of all his work 
and isn't a winner for it. Now at least no one else will touch that job. The poor builder must have been at his wits at his wits end. So thank you for those texts. Text 0868104106. Morning guys, in reply to Neil's question, uh, Gardie can have tattoos, just none on the forearms or the neck. How that was missed in those recruits is another question though, as in why didn't they spot it sooner, I suppose? I was in a car recently pulled over by an unmarked car and plainclothes guardie between Dungarvan and Ardmore. The two guardie that got out of the car to ask the driver for his licence both had their arms heavily tattooed and visible. Well, I suppose maybe it's OK if you can get through Garda Training College <laughs> and keep them hidden until then. But why? I'm just curious, what if you would make a super guard or a really good detective or somebody fantastic uh, as a guard. Why should tattoos make any difference? Oh, just to let you know, the COVID variant is called Eris, E-R-I-S. Welcome back, says Mary. Thank you for that. Uh, it's nice to be back. I was in Turkey, actually. I originally went over for a wedding and we stayed for the week. We're in Istanbul and down around the Gallipoli beaches that were, of course, uh, very, very much part of World War I. Uh, there was 10,000 Irishmen who fought uh, in the wars um, in Gallipoli alone and many, many more tens of thousands across Europe, but 10,000 of them down in Gallipoli. And we went over then to Troy, you know, the Helen of Troy and the wooden horse of Troy. It was a fabulous trip, actually. Um, Turkey has its own problems, an awful lot worse than ours, actually. They got raging, raging inflation. Uh, so for tourists in certain parts of Turkey and even in certain parts of Istanbul, you'll get incredible value. There are other parts of Istanbul like in and around the Hagia Sophia or the Blue Mosque where you would be really hammered and almost ripped off with prices. They're so expensive. But in other parts of the city, then away from, say, the Blue Mosque, you'll get incredible value. But I was reading that um, the average wage is something like three and a half thousand euro a year. I mean, how could anybody survive on money like that? And they are so dependent uh, on on tourism. Anyway, I took some very interesting photographs from the trip and a lot of different food photographs as well, uh, which I put up uh, on my Instagram. Unfortunately, a lot of them are on stories, so they'll disappear quite quickly. But if you want to check them out, they're up on my Instagram page. Uh, text 0868104106. Good morning. Um, and of course, the minute I mentioned COVID, I see the response to it. On the subject of COVID, the CUH have now decided to double up dialysis patients in taxis, despite the new dangerous variant. Patients travelling separately all through COVID because of the dangers to immunocompromised patients. And you have to ask why. The answer is so they can save a few pennies. My wife is a very concerned nurse about doubling up dialysis patients in the same taxi. As in, you'd never know who you were sitting in with. Okay, can I just mention this text that came in this morning? uh, Because I actually have not seen the ad. Although, I did watch the uh, Liverpool uh, Chelsea match yesterday at Stamford Bridge and the length of the ad breaks at half time there was an ad break that was about four minutes long they came back again on Sky um, and spoke for about 30 seconds Roy Keane was on the panel after about 30 seconds they went to another ad break which was another four minutes long at least yeah it was insane. And then there's another one just before they go onto the pitch. There's like a very small ad spot. They must one or two be ads. coining. It's really interesting. Like the whole um, way that football games are broadcast now is so is like totally different to the way it was before. Like before it used to be halftime whistle, 
ad break a good long chat in studio ad break back to the match whereas now it's way more American like if anybody's watched American sports you'll know that it's kind of like but two or three ad breaks and then they come back and they do a very short piece there's, they no, might show the goals. there's no analysis really no not really to. they're just showing the clips of the highlights it's like it's very much like you know like uh, short term memory or what is it short term attention kind of TV where it's like here's the goals here's an ad break here's something else here's an ad break and apparently the ad breaks then because I didn't pay much attention to them I went off and made a cup of tea or I was doing a bit of work for this morning or going through papers and yeah. stuff So, but apparently they're all gambling ads so many of them Okay, loads of gambling ads Okay, yeah. so this text came in you know this ad I have not seen it there's a new gambling ad with loads of so-called celebrities in it Neil they're all giving the two fingers to the worldwide gambling epidemic and the damage it's doing to society it's the root cause of suicide stats rocketing uh, Claire actually did a deep dive into this and fact checked and she, sell, she tells me that international research shows that people with gambling addictions are 15 times more likely to die by suicide um, can I remind you of the Samaritans number 116123 anyway the texter says the most disappointing part of the ad this is a gambling ad is that our very own Roy Keane appears in it all of the money these people have in the bank, but they still put out their greedy paws to take in even more lovely cash, regardless of the promotion of what should be regarded as a borderline gangster multi-billion dollar industry. I would like to give Roy the benefit of the doubt that he hasn't put much thought into it, because a man as intelligent as him, with the integrity he has, we'd be expecting that he of all people would be the last to walk off the pitch and protest at this gangsterism. But the latest to join it, apart from him, is Eric Cantona, Jamie Carragher and lots more. I haven't heard of even one of these people coming out against the gambling industry. Shame on them. What the texter is saying is they're not coming out against it, they're joining it. Have you seen the ad? Yeah, I've seen the ad and there's a couple of variations on the same ad. Jeff Stelling, uh, Jeff Stelling, I think, or Spelling, I can, can never remember his last name. I think it's Stelling. Um, he's like Soccer Saturday anchor for a long time. He's on some of the ads as well and like yeah it is are they promoting gambling are they are are they encouraging people to gamble yep it's wrong it it, it is wrong no it's masked under this kind of idea that they're they're not outwardly telling people to gamble they're in like so the ad is Roy and he's trying to get into the ground and he's all these distractions and people are trying to get him for autographs and it's, it's all these kind of catchphrases that Roy has you know it's like it's their job and all that kind of stuff and then he gets into a seat and Micah Richards who the two of them have this kind of you know, Roy is the straight one and Micah is the one who's doing all the kind of joking around. Um, and eventually then it comes to the end of the ad and it says, you know, basically gambling with no distractions, Sky Bet. Oh my God, it's Sky's betting. Yeah, it's Sky, it's Sky, it's Bet. Sky have their own betting service. And it's like insidious. They sponsor all the English Football League. They sponsor, like, they just, just, just Sky's bets everywhere. So everywhere. Sky has its own betting company yep. called Skybet, mm-hmm. and it uses the pundits who work on the soccer matches, the soccer matches to as advertise. actors yeah. to promote Skybet. Like, Paddy Power has Peter Crouch. He seems to be the one that's there. Uh, I know Ray Winston does Bet365. Sorry, no, I don't really even want to be naming out the companies, but like it is the companies. Like I, was I saying, know, I see the Ray Winston. Like yeah. I was saying before, like Bet365 have one where the odds, the changing odds of the game come up at half time. So like they okay. will bring, give you odds at before the game and then the odds will change and the live odds will come up on the screen in front of you. Like so that's, for somebody who can't control their betting, 
and they have an app on their phone, yeah. this is even more encouragement. To uh, and it's just constant encouragement, you know. And it's like one of the things that really frustrates me is you will see an awful lot of younger people, uh, people who probably aren't old enough to even put on a bet, are kind of able to create these fake accounts and bet online. Now I know this is, you have to have your ID and this that. And I mean, if I you know. Can, if I know you can get a fake ID to get into a club, how you young would they? How young would they be? Well, I can. I've you know, I've heard of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen-year-olds going into betting shops and, and putting down bets. I hear young fellas that are 18, 19 are betting every weekend. On an app on their phone. On an app on the phone. And And they control it? No, well, there's there's supposed to be a limit that you can set, but it's up to you to decide the limit that you want to set. So you could end up chasing your losses. Oh, sure, absolutely. Like, and that's what they want people to do. They want people to chase their losses. But it's 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 not just it's not just the advertising, but it's the amount of markets they have. Like, you can bet on the amount of corners in a game. You could bet on the amount of throw-ins in a game. You know, like you can bet on kind of every single ah. You can bet on who's going to win the coin toss. Can so, like, you? Yeah. Can you? Yeah. It's, it goes down to the level of like microscopic betting and one of the issues in terms of the sporting aspect of this is when you start getting down to those micro sort of you know those things that don't really affect the game then it becomes much more easy then to as they say match fix but match fixing doesn't necessarily mean I bet on a team to lose and they're going to lose match fixing can be I've bet on over you know I'm helping somebody to win on a bet over six corners so I might kick a ball off a player to go for a corner instead of a throw-in. You know, it's all those little things that you could quite easily get away with. A player with. would know somebody who has bet yeah. on six corners and it, try and orchestrate six corners. Orchest- it, it has happened, yeah, where players have orchestrated things. Or throw-ins, like you see a kick-off and a player might boot it out over, over the line for a throw-in straight away in the first you know, 20 seconds to try and help towards the amount of throw-ins that'll be in that game. In but totally, to, for, yeah. say for somebody a uh, 20-something, and I know I know 20-somethings, obviously. I do, obviously, I do people in, up into the late 20s and 30s who have betting apps and uh, are betting all of the time. Don't know how much or whether it's going to become a problem for them or not. But they can't be getting much enjoyment out of the game. Well, the idea behind betting is that it adds excitement to the game. That if you're not, if the game isn't exciting enough as it is, having money on something adds to the excitement. That's the way it's marketed. You know, you have a you have a, a bet on with the boys, and you're down the pub, and you know it adds a kind of a bit of extra excitement. But really, like I, when I first turned eighteen, I got a bet three six five account. I put a tenner into it just to. You know, just to see what it's like. It was a good part of growing up, I suppose. And I just found myself like it just it just felt stressed. I felt I spent spent the whole game being stressed because all I was thinking about was will this will my bet come in? Yeah. Or will I lose money? Yeah. So yeah. you know, obviously I'm very lucky in that I don't have a personality that, you know, I lost my tenor and I was like, Right, that's kinda of basically it. Apart from the very occasional, like big, okay. you know, one, but you see, the can FA can't touch Carragher, they can't touch Cantona, they can't no. touch King because not playing anymore. They're not playing anymore, yeah. And it's how or they're coach. able to, or Winston, or any of these guys. It's how they're able to. It's how they're able to get into it, you know. Like okay. they're they're using very recognisable faces and they're taking money for it. And to be honest, like with that textures, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Roy Keane is free to make a decision and whatever he wants, but like. I've noticed that there's some conspicuous absentees from that. Gary Neville isn't in it. And he would be somebody who's Lineker. very... Lineker. Well, no, Lineker wouldn't work for Sky anyway, but he, oh, he wouldn't he's be BBC. on it. Yeah, he's so BBC, he okay. so he wouldn't okay. be on it. But there's quite a lot of other... He sells crisps, so how does he that, does. Is that allowed? 
Well, I mean, does it, he sells. He's a contractor. He could do. He could he do could. ads. Yeah, yeah, he could do ads if you wanted, Jake. He's selling Walker Chris, but he doesn't. Yeah. So he maybe doesn't he's do. taking a stand against it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Interesting thoughts on that. Text oh eight six eight one zero. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Thank you, Kevin. Incidentally, today is the day that Guinness are putting up the price of a pint. Uh, it's gone up another four cent. Was it like seven cent? It went up. I think I'm right in saying something like seven cent. Um, in no, actually four cent from today. And six months ago, 12 cent. So the price has gone up when you add the two together. What did I say again? Four and 12, 16 cent since February. It's a big story this morning. And uh, there's a couple of pubs featuring the Independent where they have uh, endeavoured to keep the price of the pint as low as possible for many, many years, including a fellow by the name of Colm Redmond offering Ireland's cheapest pint earlier this year. And he's up in uh, the Midlands somewhere. Uh, but it's uh, interesting because there's a second article then on the price of uh, the pint, a doubles page spread in The Sun this morning, where they talk of the actual price. They go back as far as 1971. And while I mentioned that the price of a pint of stout in 1971 was 17p, you can't really relate to that because the prices of everything were so much cheaper and wages were so much lower and the cost of things were less in 1971. So 17p, by the time we got to, you know, 1981, it had gone from 17p to 63p. So that's a massive increase in a decade. And by 1990, it had gone from 63 to 153. By the year 2000, it had gone to 288. By 210, 396. And 2020, 465. And now at least 5.52. So that's uh, reeling in the beers as well as reeling in the years. But interestingly, they also, just ahead of the ad break, they also had different ads for Guinness. You'll remember, say, for instance, the Mambo ad in the early 90s of the Dancing Barman. You might remember the ad at the back end of the 90s of uh, the white horses surfing uh, on the waves and stuff like that. But there was one that really attracted my attention. Don't know when it was from. I'm assuming it's got to be the 60s or maybe early 70s because you wouldn't have got away with it in the 80s or anything like that. But it is a an advert for Guinness. It's got a bottle of Guinness and it's got two glasses full of uh, bottled Guinness. Um, don't know if many people actually drink bottled Guinness as opposed to draft um, uh, but it says, um, so it's got the bottle and the two glasses full of Guinness. One is a big glass and the other is the small glass. The small glass is clearly for the wife and the bigger glass is for the husband. And the reason I say that is the ad says, um, homecoming Guinness. After a day at work, your husband needs a few minutes to change back into the man you married. And perhaps you too need a little time to change from a housewife to a woman. A bottle of Guinness will make the transition quicker and a great deal more enjoyable. So, keep your husband company at home tonight with Guinness. Give him a Guinness. It'll turn you from a housewife into a woman. Back after the break, text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Back to calls in a couple of minutes' time, but uh, just with regards to the builders and being caught by uh, people for a job, you need to have a contract in place with the stipulation that all the materials remain the builder's property until payment has been made in full. That allows you to take back the materials. Yeah, you might say that about fixtures and fittings and things like that, or even fascia and soffit, or even windows and things. Uh, but the roof... The bricks and mortar, the paving, 
Uh, wonder about all of that. The pipe work? Uh, that man was right to get a chainsaw. It's not criminal damage. He owns everything. Until he's paid for it, he can repossess it, says Sean. That builder will now get charged with criminal damage on someone's property. And a court could get him to pay the homeowner compensation as well. I understand his frustration, but he dropped himself in it now, says Desi. Uh, that builder has no regard for health and safety, says somebody else. If you actually looked at the comments, the man who did the groundwork on the extension never got paid either. So not just the builder, but the person who put down the foundations. I moved into a new premises back in 2007. I got two prices to fit it out. My ex-wife asked to give the job to her brother as work was drying up for him. We agreed a price with him even though he was €300 more. Anyway, we gave him the go-ahead. In three weeks, he had it finished. Then the price went up. I said, no, we agreed on a price. He said, pay me or I'll cut it down. I had no choice but to pay up and had other contractors coming in two days later. I never asked any family any, any family for anything after that. Who needs them? Uh, just two more on this one. A friend of mine got badly stung by a builder that, that he gave 50 grand of 125,000 in cash near the end of the job. They left the electrics with no earth wire in parts. There was, no, there was loose plumbing that caused multiple leaks. The place needed a new roof in less than 10 years. He jumped the country to Australia and is now back working away as a different company um, and never stood over anything. Yeah, that's very frustrating when you hear them resurrect again with a new company. As a building contractor, rather than charge for materials, I ask clients to pay for materials themselves when needed and just charge for the labour. That's clever. Materials are changing every couple of weeks, so people see why prices are so high. And that chap with the chainsaw... I'd have sharpened the blade for him. Thank you for that. That's an interesting one where the client goes along and buys all of the materials and goes out to your builder's providers and your uh, other different um, suppliers like that, pays them. And then the builder is delivered to the site. The builder and the contractor does the work. Thank you for those. Keep them coming. Text 0868 104 106. Interesting text also from somebody who worked as a driving tester. Uh, back in the in the noughties, and I'll get that on air as well as lots of other things. But talking about people who work for a living, I was reading at the weekend, Mick Clifford had some interesting articles in the Examiner uh, online, and I saw that he was talking about the um, life and times of being a delivery driver. Now, it might be for Deliveroo, or it might be for Just Eat, but they were talking about parts of the article where you could have Deliveroo drivers working for a euro a job, And sometimes those jobs could take, say, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. There was an article where he was talking to one delivery driver who had two batteries from his electric bike stolen recently. And to replace them, it cost €275 each. And that was much, much more than a week's wages to him. Others were saying that they often have to avoid many areas. I don't know whether they were talking about Dublin or Cork. I think these items were... These examples were corked because people, he said, people attack us. They throw things at us, often eggs, but sometimes rocks. People have died. That's how bad the city has got. Others then talk about working six days a week, 11 hours a day for an average daily pay of 80 euro. uh, But having to pay 100 euro a week to access the apps for Just Eat and Deliveroo. So they're pretty much working for, if they're lucky, six euro an hour half the national minimum wage. Others then, unfortunately, have their bikes stolen regularly. So they really do have a fairly treacherous job. There's also screen grabs of people who did deliveroo runs and uh, just eat runs 
where they show that what they were paid for it was one euro thirty. Um, I wonder, do we think of that when somebody, uh, a delivery driver, whether it's a car, a push bike, an electric bike, whatever it may be, arrives at your door with your food? Do you tip and do you tip half enough? David Griffin is the longest delivery driver in Cork. He's been doing it since 2007. David, good morning. Hello there. Morning, Dave. 2007, 2007 no, you no. started. No, no, 2015, Deliveroo came to Cork. Okay, but have you been delivering food longer than that? I've been delivering food for many, many years, you know, working with different takeaways and um, using whatever they would have maybe on the phone or... I understand how it works. People call up the chipper or call up the takeaway. You're on standby. You jump in the car and shoot out with it. That's it. Okay, okay. But with regards to... and. How will you be paid then for that? You'd be paid, obviously, by the fast food restaurant or the restaurant, wouldn't you, or the chipper? Yeah, well, um, like diff- different, I suppose, different um, restaurants will have different ways of paying. But the average kind of, I suppose, the average would be maybe they're paying five or six euros per hour, or they might be paying seven euros per hour, and then you'd get maybe, I don't know, 250 or three euros per delivery, you might get a little bit more depending on the distance um, of the delivery. Okay, but so uh, you're, you're, you're on a wage of maybe six euro an hour to be on call, is it? That's right. And then it'd be you're, maybe... You're okay, you're, you're on standby. And then it'd be three yeah. euro for delivery, depending on what distance it would be. But is yeah, it different? Be- is that just eat and deliver or what? No, no, that's working with the restaurant. That's working directly with a restaurant. Okay. That's nothing got to do, you know, you might be delivering a delivery order or you might be delivering just eat order or it could be a phone-in um, where someone's just phoned the, the restaurant themselves or the takeaway themselves. Yeah. But uh, you're not, you're, you're, you're directly working for the restaurant. You're not to do with delivery or just oh. eat. Okay, but let's say you were directly with just eat or delivery. Do you yeah. have, do, are you, do you work with them? Yes. Okay. No, so, so I, I, like I, I was the, um, I was the first driver in Cork with Deliveroo. So we started on the fifteenth of September two thousand and fifteen. Um, and back then we were actually getting an hourly wage. Um, and then you were getting a delivery fee as well. Um, but so it, it sounded like was, a good proposition then. Yeah. Oh, it was back to like up. For many, like I've been with, so it's nearly eight years. So I would say for the first four years, um, you were able to make a very, very good wage. Um, you know, you had to put the hours in, but you you were making a very good wage. You know, um, you were probably you could have been on anywhere from fifteen to twenty euros per hour. Right. Okay. At the time. Okay. And um, were you on a bike or were you in a car? No, I, I had a scooter. A scooter. Okay. So mm-hmm. they'd be very, very economical to run the scooter, right? Yeah. Um, it would have. Uh, actually, to be honest, um, when we started with delivering in Cork, they actually supplied scooters. Really. Um, and we paid them an hourly rate uh, for the scooter until the scooter was. It was an agreement that we pay. Um, a certain amount of money uh, per per hour for the scooter, and after so many hours, um, the, the scooter then belonged to you. 
uh, very good scheme. Very um, good. In, in all ways, yeah, yeah. that's a very good system. An yeah, hourly yeah. wage, um, paid per delivery, scooter mm-hmm. provided that you can own outright. So you could make good yeah. money then if you wanted to yeah. work. Uh, back then you could, yeah. What's it like now? <laughs> uh, it's, 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 yeah. There isn't words actually to describe, I tell you the truth. Um, so uh, a five-hour week, oh, sorry, a five-day week for nine hours a day, if you come out with 400 euros before you have any expenses paid, you're lucky. And the expenses you're would lucky. be what? Like, your expenses would be petrol, your expenses would be tax, your expenses would be the extra insurance that you have to pay um, for courier insurance. So this will be using, there's, a, there's an app that we use where we pay um, an X amount of money per hour. Um, I'm paying, because I, on my, because I have the bike, I'm only paying 70 cents per hour. But anyone driving a car can be paying up to €2.20 per hour for the use of, or for the, the courier insurance. Just the courier um, insurance would be that per just hour? The, just you- the extra courier insurance. So... Even if you only do one delivery in that hour, you still have to pay. You're paying the insurance, so you might only do one delivery. Do you have to pay the platform only... app? Like, do you have to pay no, delivery? No, it's not to pay in the platform. It's a second. It's a separate. It's actually called Zigo. Is the the the, the name of the insurance? Oh um, no, I understand app. about the insurance, yeah. but do you also have to pay the platform to be on the delivery app? No, no. That's no. free, is it? That's free. You, you sign up um, to become a driver, and you link you link your Zigo app, then gets linked with the Deliveroo app. Um, okay, and, I understand it now. I understand yeah. it very clearly. I'm sure people do as well. So, mm-hmm. what kind of money then can you make per job? Um, well, it varies. Uh, I suppose like your minimum. The minimum I'm seeing at the moment for myself is around two seventy. That that would be the minimum uh, per job. Um, I mean, I sent I sent in a couple of screenshots. Explain there, those to me. I have two screenshots here for two okay, different so restaurants. The, the two of them um, would have been it's so you 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 get a no you get a, a you get a delivery you go to the um, to the restaurant. It pings a second delivery to you, and it gives you a total a total delivery price. And you can see there where it's offering me two orders. One was for I can't even see the screenshot here. But I'll tell you, I see them here. The first order you were offered would pay you four euro thirty five. Yeah, that's for two orders. For two deliveries. Two deliveries. And then the the second one will pay you five euro and twelve for two different deliveries in two different locations. Is it? That, well, you're picking up from the same location. Yes, but, but you're, you're, going de- to, yeah. you're delivering to two different locations, yeah. So that, say, for instance, that 435, could they be at opposite ends of the city? Mm, um, n- not really. Uh, I mean, if you, if, you, if you can look at the screenshot, it should it actually it show says, you where you know the 435 the, on two deliveries. Yeah. One is to the South Terrace and the other is to Ballantemple. So yeah. they're they're kind of... In the same, they're, they're, they're kind of in the same direction. Now they're not. If you're on a cycle bike, I mean, it, like it's going to take you maybe forty, forty-five minutes to do that job. 
Yeah, so you would go from McCurtain Street to the restaurant to the South Mm -hmm. Terrace and then from there to Ballantemple on a cycle bike for 4.35. Yeah. Um, That's gross before all your expenses have to be taken out. That's gross before anything. I mean, obviously, um, depending on what type of bike they're driving or cycling, I mean, if it's an electric bike, they've got quite a high, they will have quite a high... um, uh, expenditure on that because they're, they're expensive to run. You and know, they, they over the time and they, uh, for over time they just run out and they have to be replaced. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And what, what's it like on the roads then? And what's it like dealing with people? Most people customer ways are, are, are 99% are, are okay um, and, and good. You know, but you know, obviously you're always going to get one or two but it's the it's the actual being on the road itself. Um, like there's certain areas of an, uh, especially nighttime, I won't go. Why? Uh, I'm not going to mention uh, uh, because it's it's the risk of it, it's it's the risk of getting stones thrown at you. It's the risk of you know getting off the bike and and having to go into you know you're you're leaving the bike unattended, even though you might be able to see it. Um, just getting uh, surrounded by 10, 15 youths who are bent on, you know, trying to get the bike. Um, Has that happened to you? It, it's, well, they haven't had, I've, I've been surrounded. Um, they haven't taken the bike off me. I've never had the bike stolen or anything like that, but I have been surrounded. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of uh, give it a go on your bike, like, or... Uh, you know, uh, trying to it's intimidation, I suppose. Now, how do you talk um, your way, how do you talk your way out of that? Um, I suppose I think, and this is this my own experience now. Um, being Irish, I've had a better chance than being one of the foreign lads. Being honest, I think that they're not so. They're not so bent on trying to get one of our bikes, whereas with the foreign lads, I mean, they, they, I, I will say the, the foreign lads in Cork get a, get a, some of them are getting a really raw deal, um, just trying to deliver a bit of food. Like um, you mean, they get an awful lads. lot of grief from people they who are trying to rob the food, rob, rob their yeah, money, rob, rob, the, rob the, the food, rob the bike. Um, uh, uh, even even the throwing the stones and uh, attacking them, um, I mean it's happening quite regularly. That's racist, then. That's clearly racist. Of course it is. Of course it is. But um, you know, it, it's yeah, it's 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 not good. Like, so the best thing, good. the best of a bad lot would be that they just rob your food. Um, well, well, I suppose that's that's. The, Do you know what I mean? Away, like, but rather than getting a bad beating, away lately, you're just taking the food. It's uh, you know, at least you got your bike. At least you can right away. You're not hurt. I shared a video there some weeks back, actually, of a delivery driver. I think it was a Honda 50. Do you follow that kind of thing online? Yeah, I, I actually saw that. Could you I tell? Could you tell the good people about that video? Yeah, well, well the, the lad had actually just pulled up to um, to deliver a bit of food. And as he was getting off his bike, um, he was surrounded by uh, three lads. 
uh, and and they 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 were they were bent on ta- they were bent on taking on actually taking the scooter, but he fought them off. So those the man like he he did fight them off. Yeah, and he managed to keep his scooter. But um, when I mean, that's happening on a daily basis, not so. I will say it's not so much in Cork. Um, as it is in Dublin, like, there's not a hope in hell I would do this job in Dublin. Not a hope in hell. Um, it, 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 Dublin is 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 gone to the the pit altogether as far as um, delivery drivers. Okay, just uh, just like, let me just pick up on that point there because Mick Clifford did mm-hmm. a, an extensive article in the Examiner and he actually met with uh, the drivers there and sat with them. He said it, the article seems to suggest there's an awful lot of. Brazilian young Brazilian people would they be primarily male or is it a mix of male and female? It is a mix of well in Cork there's a mix of male and female um, Brazilian drivers. Right. So what um, other nationalities do we have besides? You'd have um, uh, you'd have Croatian. Um, you'd have Portuguese. Um, I mean, there's all. Uh, you do. I mean, there's even. Um, uh, I suppose over towards Albania. Uh, um, okay. you, there, there's a multitude of different nationalities. It's, I mean, it's all, there's Asian, and, um, there's English. There's, it's it's a multitude. And they're more at risk, are they? Um, I don't want to be racist when I say it, or I don't want to sound like I'm being racist. But it, it's it's more kind of the the color of your skin. That is just awful to hear. You know, in America, the mayor of New York has announced, and this is part of the Clifford article, he announced it last Sunday, mm-hmm. that delivery riders must be paid um, $18, just under $18, about sixteen fifty an hour mm-hmm. before tips. Um, they must be paid it. That will be the law in New York. The average earnings mm-hmm. up until then was about $11 after tips. So it's pretty much almost nearly doubling their wage um, because well, they obviously yeah. see it as being a big problem. Yeah, but Neil, like if you remember, like go back. So let's go back, like even five years ago. Okay, we were on like an hourly wage, and then you were on uh, the hourly wage at the time was, was uh, I think it was seven euros, and then you were getting um, one was I think it was one seventy five per delivery. Yeah, but there was a lot. There was a lot less drivers. There was a lot less. Actual drivers um, doing delivery, ah, right. or just eat, or Uber, and, and there was a lot less people ordering food through delivery, no, just well, eat or Uber. The, well, no, there would have been like the, the amount of orders, uh, like you were never without work, so you were constant. There was a constant flow of work, so like you would do maybe three deliveries per hour. There was never no double. There was there was never any double orders. It was only a single order. So. You could do three, four deliveries per per hour. Um, you might do five deliveries per hour. Uh, like there might be short ones. Um, it, it, it was completely different. Like to make, and there would have been a lot of uh, fee booths. Now they still do offer fee booths, but it's not the same. Um, What's you know, a fee boost? I often remember, like a fee boost. So is where. Um, you're getting like especially like towards the weekend they might offer one point three feeble. So you're getting one point three um of the uh, for the fee, which would be at uh, the feebles plus point three of okay, what but the fee boost is extra, extra money for weekends and it's stuff like that. Extra money of okay. being offered to you. Okay, okay. But like, okay. 
you know, I often remember going out on a Saturday and leaving my door at 11 o'clock in the morning, knowing that that day I was going to make 150 euros. From 11 a.m. till what time? Um, maybe 10 o'clock at night. Okay, now and I'd would you I'd be able to say that now? Would you, would you be able to say that now? No, 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 no. If you, no, no, not a hope. What would you make? If you scrape 100 euros, you're doing well. And that's on a good day. And that's on a no, weekend only, like you're not talking about it a Friday. To make 100 euros during the week, um, you might, but that's going out at 9 o'clock in the morning. You're walking down to maybe 1 o'clock or um, 2 o'clock and then going home and coming back out at 5 o'clock and walking to maybe 10 o'clock. In all kinds of weather. Uh, hold on there, Dave. I want to come back and bring Sean in on the conversation after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Still have Dave Griffin, uh, Cork's first and longest delivery driver. Sean Cronin gave it a go for about uh, eight months. Is that right, Sean? That's, well, I was there for about four years, actually, but I haven't done it in months. Okay, okay. But um, anything yeah. you wanted to pick up there on what Dave is saying, because he certainly has the longest experience I've ever heard of. You, you say that drivers are going longer distances for the same money and there are too many riders. Yeah, like what Dave was saying there, at the beginning there was a limit to the number of riders, so there was, there was more to, to go around and to, to a controlled bunch, a number of people, so you were able to make decent money and... When there's no limit, then sure, there's less. You see the guys hanging around town; they could be hanging around in the centre for hours, waiting for a job offer to come in. Why are they? Why are they doing it? Is it there? Is no disrespect to the work, but is it? Mm. Is that all that they can get? Possibly because um, the thing on the article about paying to be on the platform—you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, that, that's that hundred euro a week. That's somebody that doesn't have the correct visa. That's what they have to pay in order to use. To walk on the delivery. How do they how do they do that if they don't have a visa to work here? Well, say my account now. If you want to do some deliveries now, you could use my account. It's it's in the terms and conditions and everything. It's covered. You'd be a substitute rider. Oh right. You just come to me personally and say, "Here, I'd like to walk eight hours tomorrow. Is that okay?" And I'd say, "Fine." You walk away from me. I just have to ask you: Do you have the right to walk in Ireland? That's all. And if you say, yeah, but don't have to prove it, off you go. Yeah. But what if that driver then crashes uh, or gets injured or gets beaten up or needs medical care or damages a car or hits a pedestrian? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not going to be covered because there is, you are insured if you're legal, you know, if you have the right to work in Ireland and everything. But, you know, if you don't... To, you know, fill that criteria then. So is it true then that many of those that you might see around the city waiting for an order don't have the right working visas? It's very possible. I, I mean, a lot of people left, they might have dual citizenship, they might have a European passport and one that isn't, you know, covered by the, the visa programme. So, But a lot would be renting accounts. Like, for years now, it could be advertised on Facebook if you want to rent an account or something. You know? Okay. Do do either of you want to pick up on a comment that I hear on this program for so, so long? And that is that Deliveroo drivers, let's call them all Deliveroo, I know some are, are Just Eat and there are others, that you're a nuisance on the road. Um, I'll, I'll come in on that there. Um, yeah. Definitely. Uh, 
I, I, I definitely see him myself, especially with the cyclists. Um, uh, and I suppose it does have to be said, said that, uh, you know, that some of them are reliant on, on, on to themselves. Um, and, you know, they're breaking the red lights and, and it just up on top of footpaths and down and, and going, just basically doing everything they shouldn't be doing. And yes, like there's definitely a certain amount of that on the road. Um, not and, a bu- not abiding by the rules of the road or yes, traffic. No, lights. no, not abiding by the one. You know, you have to put your hands on and say, like, yeah, there is there, there, there is a lot of that going on. Um, but you know, I suppose if you see it from, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to um, say it, it's okay or anything, but like because the I suppose because the fees are so low, because everything is also on time. Um, I mean, it's happened to me uh, recently where you, I've been given a notification like that, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm late getting to a delivery, but I'm stuck in traffic. Mm. And then, you know, it's kind of... Your pressure to break from the law. The, you're, you're nearly getting a warning from Deliveroo, like, uh, you know, we're, we're watching your time, like, and, you know, if it continues like this, um, we we may have to look at ceasing uh, your account. Like, but that's encouraging people to be reckless. Then, well, well it, it's it's you know, it's taking risks. Now, admittedly, I don't see I don't see the motorbikes or, or I don't see the cars. I suppose breaking the lights or or anything like that. But it, it's certainly that the lads on the like the bikes the, the and the electric, electric bikes, bikes or yeah, the yeah, yeah. or pedal bikes. Um, I mean, there's been quite a few. I suppose you know misses or close calls um, in Cork uh, with with cyclists, um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it, it's definitely something that I suppose yeah, it's definitely but happening. I, like I agree, some of the things I see the cyclists doing are it's ridiculous, mm. but they. I mean, so they are more visible on the road. So when you see a guy with a flaring backpack and you see him do, doing something silly, you're going to remember him. But there's yeah. there's 50 of him around the city then, so it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's like the one guy gets the blame for. for Have you ever found bikes. that motorists are aggressive towards bicycles and electric bikes? Well, they, like they, it's a group that stands out, like taxis and, and delivery guys. So they they might lump one a few bad kind of drivers in, in, into the the whole category. You know? And have you, say for instance, Sean, ever been at risk when you were doing it? I know you don't do it anymore now, you're following a musical career, but when you were? I was saying, um, well not music, anyway, I'm up at the flat, you're all just watching it. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. But, um, yeah, not about it, you would love it. I but, certainly um, would love it. I certainly would oh, love it. We were in the back of a pub at the edge of the town last night. There were four excellent Ellen Pipers just in the back, in the back of the pub. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish I was there. Yeah, sure, sure, call up. It's the last day. Uh, i got to work away next year, though, please, God. But what, what what about sure safety? Next year. Oh, same as Dave, sure. Guys throwing things at you in, in some parts. And I was I worked in Dublin with it for about two or three weeks as well. And, oh, you said there's, it's, I know it's kind of all good Brazilian guys up here walking in Dublin. Like even the restaurants, they speak Portuguese when you're picking up the order. And, um, yeah, more dangerous in Dublin. But, um, yeah, in Cork as well. It, like guys would surround you, try and intimidate you, you know, push you off the bike and that kind of thing, you know. So are there but, no-go areas in Cork for delivery drivers on bikes? Well, uh, cycle fast, I suppose. Get through it and drop off the food and be gone. 
and hope for the best. Yeah, but that's bad then as well, you know. Okay, okay. All right, okay. So, Dave, can you make uh, a a good living as a driver? No, no, not now. Like, I've I've actually come away from doing delivery as a full-time job because I I couldn't survive on... um, uh, on the wage that uh, okay. I would make okay. now, um, like uh, to give you, like to give you an example, um, during the day, um, especially daytime, if you can make eight euros per hour, you're doing well. Here's an interesting one before I let you go because I'm out of time. Texter says, we don't tip the delivery drivers anymore as the price to get a delivery has gone up to €4.50 Euro per delivery. I always give a tip, but not anymore. How are people for tipping, lads? Um, I agree with that. Yeah, they're okay. No, but no, I will say, like, if you take Deliveroo for um, instance, like before when you started with Deliveroo, there was just the delivery fee. So it would have been two fifty or three euros. Now there's a delivery fee, there's a service fee, there's a minimum order fee. So depending on which restaurant you're ordering from, um, if you order under like twenty euros, you're getting an extra charge on top of that. So there's all these extra fees that are gone in. Yeah. Yeah. So your two euro fifty delivery fee that used to be there you could be paying nearly five euros for it now okay Um, do people though always tip no no would 80% of them tip or depend on the location how how does that work Um, I would say 20% yeah sounds right tip yeah maybe maybe 20% that's appallingly low yeah, like out of every ten orders you do, I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember actually counting one day, uh, one week. I actually went through thirty-seven orders without getting a tip. Oh, that's appallingly I, low. You know, but that's the way it is. You know, people people don't have to tip, but you know, it's. It, I always remember. I, I say, I even say, if every if every person who you deliver to, if they only get if you got a euro from every single, like, delivery, just a euro, you'd have a fairly decent wage at the end of the week. I know, just for the sake of a euro, if you can afford the food and if you can afford the fees, give a euro at least. I know what you're saying. All right, lads, lovely chatting with you both. Um, Thank you so much, Dave Griffin. And you too, Sean Cronin. Enjoy the rest of the flower, what's left of it. Will do. All the best, lads. Take care. Text 0868-104-106. Two nice lads. Back after 11. Now... Show. Red FM. Right, a lot of texts on the topics I've been dealing with this morning, which I will come back to, particularly with builders and people who have been caught, particularly builders who have been caught, but on delivery drivers. Hi Neil, I worked in this industry also for quite a few years. I worked in a kebab shop for a year, and for a kebab shop for a year, and their rate was €4 Euro per hour and a delivery rate of €2 Euro per hour. Yeah, but I wonder, was that quite a long time ago, or was it recently? Uh, you certainly wouldn't hold down a weekly wage um, unless you were doing a ferocious amount of deliveries at €2 Euro a delivery and €4 Euro an hour. Uh, ask him if the rate of pay includes social welfare payments. I wouldn't think so. I'd say you're a sole trader in that regard and you need to make your own, um, sorry, well, with regards to social welfare payments, would you be allowed to, I think you would be allowed to top up a social welfare payment by certain hours per week, but I don't know, would people be claiming social welfare and doing delivery work? Possibly there are those that are. 
but there's others here as well who would be working and doing Deliveroo uh, who wouldn't be able to claim social welfare because they wouldn't even have the right papers to be working here in the first place. Why would anybody want this delivery job when they can work in a shop for better wages in a safe environment and get guaranteed work? And are they undocumented? Is that why they don't get a proper job? A lot of the time, the answer to that, unfortunately, is yes, um, that they have to do this kind of work. That's why you have the likes of a certain amount of delivery drivers who also have to be fed by the likes of street angels or the different homeless groups on the streets. Or indeed, and Seamus has seen it because he's done work for this programme up at Cork Penny Dinners, where Penny Dinners are feeding Deliveroo and uh, Just Eat drivers um, because they can't make a wage. Uh, Well, Neil, that's what's happening when you have a country with an open door policy. I'm talking about foreigners delivering food and you can be sure there are a lot of criminals amongst them. That's one of them. It's only Monday morning, GP, in Blarney, but that's the broadest sweeping statement I think you're going to hear all week that somebody out who is here for whatever reason, would be deemed as a criminal. Come on, man, think about it. Actually, when I, w- when I was in Turkey, I got a guide for a morning, a lovely guy called Ali. He took us around um, the old quarter and into um, uh, the Blue Mosque and the Hagia Sophia and into the Tepeki Palace as well and places like that. We sat down at a bit of lunch afterwards and it was like talking to somebody from Ireland. They have the same problems in Turkey as we have here, except they're manifestly bigger on a huge scale. Uh, with regards to health, education, uh, tradespeople, doctors, nurses, hospitals and education system. He actually works uh, not only as a, as a tour guide, but he works also as a, um, uh, he's, a college, he's a college lecturer. Um, or is it actually, no, he's a secondary school lecturer, but I think he, he does exams for colleges. But he says he teaches English and chemistry in secondary school. And he says he's completely exasperated by their education system. It goes in one ear and out the other. But when it comes to issues like migration and immigration and refugees and asylum seekers, they have a massive problem trying to cope, like massive. There's 80 million Turks and there are 10 million refugees. So it's pretty much 8, maybe 9% of their population. And they have no way of coping. Uh, anyway, just mention that for the record. Uh, you're around long enough to know these figures are wrong. For God's sake, they would be better off in another job if those figures are right for Deliveroo. I'm wondering if they're on social welfare as well. Are they registered with the tax department? Uh, all you got to do, says somebody else, is stand by the Northgate Bridge any day and watch delivery drivers cause havoc on the North Main Street. Two more texts on this. None of those drivers ever pay any tax. I counted 40 on Patrick Street yesterday. Well, if they're from overseas, right, and they don't have proper paperwork and they don't have working visas, then they wouldn't be paying any tax. Uh, I live in them. And actually, when you look at some of the money that's being earned and the wages that are being earned, those wages would even be below the, the tax threshold anyway. I live in the middle, middle parish. I see these delivery drivers dealing drugs all of the time. They're like drug mules, some of them. So don't try to get people feeling sorry for them, Neil, because they're contributing to the bad name our city now has. Also, the only ones I see dealing the drugs would appear to be, appear to be people from overseas. Ah, uh, well, I've seen some handy dockets around the streets of Cork dealing in drugs, and they're not far from Cork. I mean, when I say that, they're from Cork, uh, and they come from either the inner city Cork or they come from the suburbs and parishes uh, of Cork City itself. So it's not always non-nationals, as you would say. Uh, welcome back, Neil. That is somewhere I'd always love to go, Turkey. It was Turks who did all of the bypass in Balancholic, and they're lovely people. Uh, we didn't miss you at all, as Kevin did an amazing job. So did Jonathan. 
And I hope that Mick Mulcahy is doing well. He is doing well and he's recuperating well. With regards to the builders, people should not bring anyone to their house to do any jobs if they don't have the money to pay for the jobs. And this is a big part. You must have the money. Who wants to work all week just to get no money? Don't get these workmen if you can't pay them, says Marie in Clon. I wonder would there be people that would do that, uh, where they would say, we need a big, let's get a big job done, right? Uh, let's get a quote. Doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, they get the quote and it's a hundred grand and they know that they're never going to pay it. You know, all they have is maybe 30 or 40 grand. So they get, they're such miserable, horrible people that they get the job done and they pay the couple of stage payments that needs doing and needs paying and they don't bother ever paying the substantial balance at the end of it. Um, knowing that what's, what's the builder going to do? They're not going to take us to the high court. It's too much money for the civil court or the district court. Uh, it would never get in uh, to uh, the small claims court. We won't bother just paying them. They'll just walk away. How often does it happen? Anyway, enough of me. Back to the phone lines and staying actually with the whole delivery driver scenario. Hazel from Street Angels. Hazel, good morning. Good morning. I, I was just back. thank you. I was just <laughs> I was just mentioning there actually that I know for sure that the wages are so bad, or that some of them have yeah. so so little money that Katrina Toomey's feeding them in penny dinners. Are yeah. You, we get a load of them down every Monday night um, to for hot food and tea and coffee. And I talked to one of them and I'm going, like, do you not even get paid for what they do? But apparently they get very little. Now, I used to do Chinese deliveries and I'd get, oh God, a five or an hour plus the local, the local delivery now be three, three fifty Per delivery? Yeah, per delivery. And then if you're outside the main town, like Drumahan, which is only three, four miles out, you get fiver. Okay, okay. Uh, and do you work for the same Chinese restaurant only, is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so I did, yeah. Okay, when you were doing it, it was a fiver an hour out of Mallow, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're getting nowhere like that in the city and they're certainly not getting it with the Deliveroo or yeah, a Just Eat app. So they come down every Monday night to us and, you know, you have to feel for them. Um, and where, would, they, would they go to some of the other um, uh, oh, homeless groups? Oh, they go to the group? other soup then during the week as well. I'd have to be going through town and seeing them as well. And, yeah. So a so lot of them I would can't. be the lads on the bikes or the electric bikes or whatever, is it? Yeah, there was one guy on a motorbike and he, he was trying to hide his box and his helmet <laughs> around the corner so that we would know it was them. And I'm going, look, I know you're Deliveroo, you're all right, you don't have to hide. Was he, was he, was he afraid that you wouldn't feed him? Yeah, yeah. He it's was. kind of sad, like, when you hear of a fellow hiding his bike and starving with the hunger, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they, we all have to get food. And if this is what they, if they resorted to coming here, I just wonder why they're doing what they're doing. And have you not. ever asked them why they're here if they're living in these kind of conditions? No, because I think they're embarrassed. They just want to get the food and their cup of tea or coffee and take off. They might have had a delivery to deliver as well, but... Okay, so they would be possibly getting fed by day in penny dinners and then by the different soup runs, who incidentally do an awful lot more than soup at night. I know before that 
a lot of my friends are still doing it and they get a meal at the end of the night. They can have a bit, whatever they want, you know, from the, wherever they're doing the delivery from. Really? As well, yeah. And that happens all the time. You can pick whatever you want from the menu. Every night you, you work. If you're only working for the one restaurant or takeout, though? Well, I presume it's with different ones because over over my lifetime, I used to do it for different crowds, you know, in Mallow, different days. But if they're, if they're working full-time for Deliveroo um, or for different restaurants, why would they be availing of Supron's? Yeah, what are they what like? But what are they? Like, so what are they doing with their money if others are feeding them? That's that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> um, because like we have the genuine homeless, and we're finding it very hard at the moment because um, our storage units. Um, we were just basically given a month. Well, he was going on holidays for two weeks, and he said, "You have two weeks to pack up and get out." So now. I'm stuck because I have no storage unit. And if any of your listeners can help me out, I am in dire need of it because um, my crew now went down to Indy on Tuesday, Wednesday last week and we got a load of tents and sleeping bags, you know, after the Indies Independence Festival. Oh, well done. You got a good haul from that. Yes, yes, because the ones we got last year done us up until March of this year. So you're looking for some kind of a lock-up? Yes, a storage unit lock-up, anything to keep all our equipment, you know, that we'd have access to it. And the one that you had up until recently, did you pay for that? Was there a rent of um, Well, towards the end, um, it changed hands and we we were given it on word of mouth that it's there. We paid for it ourselves, myself and my husband, to build it. And it was free, but then it changed hands and then we were paying a week for it. But now that they're asking everybody in the building to get out, um, I think the building has been sold. So, so the, one you're, the one you're looking for, would that be free gratis and for nothing? Um, because you, you would have very limited cash, like, wouldn't you? Oh, we have no cash at all. This And we haven't done a fundraiser it, we're doing our first okay. fundraiser in two and a half years. We're doing it the end of the month with Brian, you know, from the Briar Rose. Oh, he's Chef. brilliant. Chef Brian's brilliant. Chef. Yeah. Works with Edel House a lot at Christmas, yeah. He does. He does fantastic work and he's great to me. And he, we're doing a car drive the 31st. And if there's anybody out there, give us spot prizes. We're looking for them as well um, to help to, you know, for a raffle and things. So if people want to contribute to the raffle for the good work of Street of, of street Angels, how can they street get in touch? Um, well, we're on um, Facebook and Instagram and our email is streetangelscork at gmail.com and that's the PayPal, you know. Um, if anybody wants to find you, they'll get you on Instagram mm-hmm. as a good starting point. And if anybody has a lockup that wants to maybe offer it for the good work oh. that you do, they can also uh, yeah, find you on Yeah, because it's getting to the stage now that we're struggling so bad. I hate to give up all the hard work we're after doing over all the years and building the trust we have with guys. I hate to walk away, but 
unfortunately, it's starting to look grim. Okay. Like well, that. if you have no lockup, you can't continue with the service on no. Monday nights, and it is very much needed, probably more so than ever now. I think there's exactly. always an influx of people into Cork City oh, in the summer, isn't they, it? They fed uh, about 118 last Monday night. It's, all you know, ages from all different all parts of the world. E- all walks of life and everything. And during the week, then I got um, street able. A Angels was able to help a homeless man that lived in a tent for years get his own gaff with his dog. His own gaff? So, yes, yes. we proud to say, yeah, he's after getting a place with, that'll take him and his dog and his contribution um, a few bob every week. To oh, that's a great thing to do. Well done on yeah, that. I hope that somebody can help you with the lock-up yeah. and that many people will contribute spot prizes I, for the raffle. Yeah, I really hope so. All right, okay. And well. you're very good, Neil. Thank no you Stay so in touch, much for all your support. Mind yourself. Take care. God bless. Take care, bye, take care. Bye, I have bye, to say, bye. the Chef Brian in, in the Briar is just an awesome guy. In fact, I don't know, have you eaten in the Briar recently? The food there is just Unreal. It is so good. I, I visit there for lunch from time to time and the food is just fantastic. So check it out for lunch or for dinner. The Briar is terrific. Actually, talking about Cork food, um, up popped on my feed there in Instagram uh, in the last week or so uh, was some fantastic photographs of the food from the Rendezvous. Not far from me here in Bishopstown. They've got a cracking menu. I mean, just go and check it out for yourself. You think about pub food, and no disrespect, of course, unless you kind of know the pub yourself, you wouldn't be inclined to go into another pub not knowing what you're going to get in there. But I think the standard of food in a lot of establishments has risen and has risen. And, and And you don't want it to be too fancy, Dan, either. Do you know what I mean? You want a lot of the classics, don't you? Particularly in pubs, particularly for lunch or for, for an early dinner. But anyway, just mention in passing, do check out the rendezvous because from what I'm seeing online, they're doing incredible food there. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. My story there about Hazel from Street Angels getting a, a man and his dog their own gaff. It reminded me of the story of another man and his dog. It's a story from... The Echo this morning. It's an incredible story of the love that a dog has uh, for, I hate using the word, its owner, because they're like family members in many ways. They're our equals, I suppose, as sharing the planet. But you know that we were called adults, the owners of dogs, so bear with me on that one. The dog is called Prince. It's a half collie, uh, half Irish terrier. Now, we are going back to the First World War, the Great War, 1914 and 1918. So Prince, a cork dog belonged to a Cork soldier by the name of James Brown. Now, um, Brown uh, was initially based at Victoria Barracks at the time, now Collins Barracks, and he was mobilised to sail to France to fight the Germans um, in uh, the First World War. So he was in France in November of 1914, and he uh, left the dog behind. The dog went with him to London, to Hammersmith in London, and that's where he left Prince in Hammersmith in London. So he was out in the, in the trenches uh, fighting the war uh, over in a place called Armentiers when he came back to his billet at some stage during the day and a friend says to him, Prince has turned up. Um, and lo and behold, there was Prince. And the pair of them were reunited in a frenzy of delight, as it says in this morning's examiner. By some bizarre way, Prince found his way from Hammersmith all the way to the front line in Amantier in France uh, at the start of the First World War. 
and he was so invaluable, apparently, and a comrade for so many of the troops that he became part uh, of the gang out there. Apparently, rats were public enemy number one. And they, sadly, and I hate mentioning this at any time of the day, uh, but certainly right now, they used to feast on the corpses and spread all sorts of dangerous diseases, the rats. And Prince gained heroic status after one killing on one day of 137 rats in a single day. I mean, it's an incredible story. It's more incredible because you have to wonder, how did Prince, the half-collie, half-terrier, get from Hammersmith um, to France? Never mind then from the French coast to the front line. He must have snuck on to a boat or a ship. But how did he find his way from Hammersmith to the exact location of his owner, James Brown, at the front at the front line? But he did. The article quotes, actually, and this is the interesting part, experiments have shown that successful homing dogs seem to go into a kind of a trance. They make no attempt to sniff and they fare much better homing in in mist or in darkness, as though they're using not vision, but some kind of a sixth sense. Isn't that incredible? I mean, firstly, it's a show of incredible bond and love in the first place. But secondly, the ability to be able to travel from one pinpoint, right, in Hammersmith in England, London, to uh, a place near the front line in France and get right down to the exact detail where your pal or your owner, James Brown, was. I mean, that's bizarre. I mean, you need to just stop talking for a few minutes and think about that. But it's an incredible story. It's in the Examiner today. The power and the love bond between a man and his dog. Text 0868104106 if you've got stories like that to share. Tomorrow, actually, I'd love to deal with a story that I came across over the weekend uh, in The Telegraph. And it has to do, firstly, what you call your grandparents, and secondly, the name that you give your parents. It could be mum or dad. It could be ma or da. It could be pops. It could be mammy. It could be mummy. A lot of it depends actually on what parish of Cork you're from. But the article in the Telegraph was talking about all of that. But more to the point, what the choice of names say about you, particularly with regards to what you call your grandparents. It could be granny and granda. It could be grandpa. I wouldn't say that there'd be a lot of grandpas in Cork, but there would be a lot of grandas and grannies. So granny and granda, I'd say, would be the primary one, but there are others. Nan, Nana, Grams and Gramps. Sounds very American, Grams and Gramps, doesn't it? Pops, which funnily enough is what my son calls me. I don't know whether it's cool or whether I'm just like a a 95-year-old. Pops. That's more likely to be a grandfather's term, but he uses it nonetheless. Grandmama. I would imagine if you call your grandmother grandmama or grandpapa, they probably live in a palace or they live on the Blackrock Road or they might have a penthouse in the Elysian or something. Grandmama and grandpapa. If you call them by their first name, um, they're laboring under the misapprehension that they're multimillionaires who cause their grandparents by their first name or that they're as the Telegraph puts it, they must. your grandmother must think she's Anna, Anna Wintour or something. Um, and then there's other ones like Bubba and Babushka. Uh, apparently, a grandmother who's called Bubba, or well, actually I suppose it's more likely to be Babushka, um, is a stern grandmother, but can cook like hell, apparently. <laughs> anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome as to what you call your mum or your dad, or indeed your granny or your granda, and we could have some fun with that. 
tomorrow. So text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go because Selena's waiting way too long. Selena, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Happy anniversary to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know I know you and I know you know Paul as well, so I appreciate the sentiment. Thank you. Sorry, happy anniversary to both of you. <laughs> You're so kind. You're so kind. Brownie points there for me. So, um, delivery drivers, uh, menace on the road or what? Um, yeah, to be honest, um, I, I was so happy to hear you highlighting this this morning because it's been something on my mind for months. And I know when I finish work in the afternoon, I'd always go home and collect the dog, who is my third child, and walk around town with her. You know, if I have jobs to do, because she might have been alone during the day. You got to walk them. Yeah, you got to walk them. So I try and do my jobs and everyone is now so dog friendly. But the real point is, it's getting to the stage if I'm walking on the St. Mal or Oliver Plunkett Street or Partick Street, I'm becoming nervous because... Within minutes of walking, there will be a bike, a delivery, nearly absolutely running me over or coming towards me. And it's, I've been finding for months. On the footpath? On the footpath. Yeah, naturally on the footpath. Yes. So you jump off the footpath or what do you do? Well, naturally you, it's not that I think they're going to, you know, run into me, but it's just they're, they, they, they seem to be very, um, what's the word? Um... You know, they're they're on their way somewhere, which is fine. I understand now why, well, what they're being paid and they have to deliver. But it seems to be there's no respect for humans. There's no respect for us walking. It's like they're on their bike um, and they're getting to their destination. Yeah. There's no rules followed. They don't care if you're on the footpath as long as they can keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you see the reason why though they're being on, they're on the clock and they're getting grief from um, whoever is monitoring them that they're not moving fast enough? Well, I didn't know that until this morning, and it's been something on my mind for you know months and months to highlight this. And again, it's very sad. It's 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 really really sad. But it's also I'm sure I'm not the only person because you know Cork is a busy city, um, and again. You know, there has to be rules. But you said there in the text that if you don't move, they will run you over. To be honest, that's the impression. It hasn't happened to me. One has come nearly recently. Um, one has come right very, very close that I actually, you know, had to move very, very quickly. So... You want to try walking down the line with cyclists and pedestrians or walking down any of those beautiful new stretches that we have. Um, I don't know how they all get along because it can be quite dangerous sometimes. It is dangerous. In the sense that it's not just delivery drivers who, who are on the clock. It's just cyclists, some cyclists, just they just don't pay attention. Well, they don't follow the rules of the road. Not all. I, I, I don't want to set a war against, you know, I mean, I cycle myself, but I'd, I'd go down the marina or I'd go somewhere that's, you know, it's, it's cycle-friendly. We don't have a city that is really cycle friendly as such, you know, and I think what's happening is cyclists then not only deliver, they're going on the um, footpaths because there is no choice. Uh, I, I, I cycle a bike, I don't cycle on footpaths, I cycle on the road I don't, and I, I obey the rules of the road and I stop at the traffic lights. Pedestrians use footpaths, not cyclists. Well, I'll, I'll say no more. I'd love to know. Um, I don't think I must be the only person. No, I'm saying I'm, on, I'm on your side. They shouldn't be on the footpaths mm. in the first place. Mm. Yeah.
Good point. Well made. Have a good day. Thanks, Selena, and thanks for your okay. best wishes. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Text 0868104106. In the building, with regards to um, builders being caught and um, stuff like that, uh, a thought on builder on the builder that undid the work on a house they couldn't get paid for. It's very easy for people to say that he's in trouble and that he'll go to jail. The people that own the house are the people that should go to jail. This is from earlier this morning. If you weren't listening, a builder couldn't get paid. He got on the roof of the, the extension. It was a big, big extension, 40 metres squared, two bedrooms. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know it was two bedrooms. I know it was a kitchen. I know it was a utility room and I know it was a bathroom. Uh, and he went up and he started to... Um, chainsaw it and take it all apart. The people that own the house should be the ones to go to jail. A few years ago, a relative of mine was owed money for work he did on a house and he could not get paid for it. Letters from the suppliers were coming in his door looking for money that he could not get from the house owners. It was putting him under so much pressure and it got so bad, Neil, that he took his own life. Sad to say, he could not see a way out over people who would not pay him. It would be better if he was in jail today and not gone from the people who loved him. If people get work done, they should pay the builders for their work. They have children and bills to pay also. Welcome back, says Mary. That is so, so sad that that poor man could find not could not find another way out of it in, in the sense that he couldn't find a way to carry on and sadly ended his own life because of what happened to him. I mean, see the consequences of people's actions and the reaction that somebody will take. It's so sad. Listen, if anything, that we've been talking about this this morning, because this isn't the first text we've had with uh, people who actually took such drastic a- action over bills that they couldn't get paid for. You can always talk to the Samaritans on 116123. They're there to listen. 116123. God knows, after the collapse of the Celtic Tiger, didn't we hear, didn't we all know of these stories of people who were left with such horrific debt? after their businesses collapsed and things like that, or indeed uh, they couldn't pay their, their mortgage. And sadly, unfortunately, um, some of them had huge debt to banks because they took too much risk. And then when everything collapsed, they were left with personal guarantees. And um, unfortunately, we all know of people who ended their own lives in that case too. The Samaritans are there to help and to listen on 116-123. Back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Right, Joanne says by email, first thing this morning, I'm a resident in Cove, I've been living here all my life. What I witnessed Friday and Saturday is no one's business. While the regatta was brilliant, what I'm about to tell you is not the regatta's fault. But on Friday, I witnessed with my own eyes one of the most vicious things I've ever seen. One girl attacking another out of the blue, threw her into a wall by her hair, laid into her, put her on the ground, got on top of her and laid into her some more. Then the girl who was on the ground got up and started running away. The other girl went after her, dragged her back by the hair and flung her to the ground again. She then kicked her in the head and jumped on her. It took the guardie like what felt like an age to come. As I understand it, there is not a case being pursued though. Then on Saturday, there was a group of youths sitting on furniture outside a food hall. Guards had to be called as they wouldn't leave. Some carrying hammers. As soon as the guards came, they just ran. I've never seen it so bad down here. You always expect a bit of trouble whenever there's a big event, but this is the worst I've seen in years, says Joanne in Cove. Two different incidents, particularly the very, very bad beating. You wonder why people have so much anger. Uh, What was the reason? There would be no reason good enough for something like that. 
But what motivated her? How was that kicked off? And were there any, was there any substance abuse involved in that, I wonder? Or where does the anger come from? And this business of carrying the hammers, uh, is it to look cool? Is being part of a gang now the place to be or the way to live your life? And to carry some kind of weaponry, whether it's a hammer or a blade or a knife or whatever the case may be. Uh, it really is just going from bad to worse. Um, I don't mind saying that because I'm just seeing more and more evidence of just a continual breakdown in society. It's very sad news then if you go then from Cove to Middleton. I saw a post of the weekend, and this is happening way too often, from Molly's Bar in Middleton, where they say, it is with a heavy heart that we announce Molly's Bar is closing. Our last day of trading will be Sunday the 20th of August. It's been an amazing, it's been amazing part of, you. it's been amazing being part of all of your celebrations, your fundraisers, your family dinners, your weekend sessions for these past years. They go on then to thank all of the staff throughout all of the years, all of the local community for their support, all of those that supplied them and all of their butchers and everybody that gave them their food and their vegetables and people like that. They say, we'll be delivering live music and crack right up until we close. Thank you all, says Roz, Fergal and all at Molly's. Don't know why. Um, I'm certainly hoping to have a chat with them at Molly's Bar to find out why they're calling it a a, a day. Wondering, has it anything to do with the increase in VAT? Wondering, has it anything to do with the increase in supplies, you know, food and, uh, you know, all of the things that you have to uh, run a restaurant, uh, Guinness and their increase, you know, energy costs going up. Um, there's just so many things now that are impacting businesses and the reasons to close. I mentioned that actually because I was copied in on a post on my own Instagram page uh, by Barry McLaughlin, the owner of Poachers Bar and Restaurant in Bandon. If you've never been to Poachers, it's just outside the town, just on the edge, just on the edge. But it's got fantastic food and it's a great place for a pint as well. It's got the finest seafood and I can tell you, probably the best um, seafood pie that I've ever had. Uh, but he was talking about villages and towns and indeed, the city centre becoming less vibrant. Um, this isn't just Cork City, but towns and villages more run down, less attractive, harder to get customers, harder to get people to uh, actually work in the industry, things like that. And I was quite alarmed by what he had to say, because he rightly believes that because the government um, has got a booming tax take from businesses, retail and hospitality and all that come with it, that they don't really pay attention and wonders, or at least poachers are wondering, do they actually even care? Barry joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Morning, Neil. It's just an attempt to sum up what you're saying on Instagram. Do you want to add to that? Well, I suppose uh, I, I, I wrote, I suppose, an open letter to Minister Michael McGrath, um, who I believe is a, is a, a, a good guy. Um, uh, I, what prompted me to do it was that uh, I, I actually couldn't believe that the, the, the VAT rate was up for, even up for discussion again in light of the challenges facing uh, the restaurant industry in particular uh, post-COVID. From nine uh, back up to thirteen and a half, just from so nine back, yeah. like it's a fifty percent increase for just for people. Like it's, you know, so if you're paying ten grand every two months, that goes up to fifteen thousand every two months, and that's very impactful. So and if I'm paying whatever I'm paying, say eighteen euro for your seafood pie, will that now cost mm-hmm. me twenty one, twenty two? Yeah, yeah, it'll have to go up. It'll have to go up, Neil, because unfortunately. Um, there are a number of issues that the industry has faced since the, the COVID obviously was a huge issue, but subsequent to COVID being officially over, 
uh, and the support's finishing, uh, we're not back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the public got out of habit. Um, it wasn't helped either, the public being, going out of habit wasn't helped by the fact that taxis have become far more difficult to, to, to get at night time. Uh, and uh, I don't know what the story is there, but government are aware of this and I, and I think more could be done and more urgently needs to be done because otherwise you're just going to see it eking away all the time. That when, you, when you say that are, customers have got out of habit, do you mind me just asking you to develop that point a little bit? In what way out of yeah. habit? Sure. So, so you had you had two years effectively of COVID uh, restrictions, and uh, restaurants were either closed or mm, open with one hand behind their back, yeah. effectively, yeah. Uh, with social distancing, outside dining. Like we had two, we had two tents outside at one point uh, outside in the car park at Boaters, which you know, listen, it was fine for a couple of weeks, but I mean, it wasn't ideal for customers at all. Um, so ultimately, yeah, we had we had two years of, 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 of enormous restrictions on the industry. And, you know, habits change in that time. They say it's 28 days. Well, this is 28 days multiplied by 24. Yeah. So uh, to try and coax people back um, into habits, you need the conditions there, there for them in order to get back into that habit. And one of those key conditions is taxis. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're out for a night, if you're going out for a social meal during the, during the week, fine, you might drive yourself or whatever, but if you're going out meeting people at the weekend and having a meal and a few drinks, taxi is an essential part of that of that, of that product. And are you talking uh, about the greater Bandon area now, or are you talking about also, is this story related to the city or areas like that? Oh, I, I believe this is related to everywhere in the country, really. Um, because, uh, I, I, like I know in, in our locality, we've really good taxi guys, you know, but what they seem to do uh, post-COVID was uh, they changed their model a little bit. They seem to be working daytime. They mightn't have the drivers, to be fair to them, uh, but their model changed and they seem to be doing more daytime work. That's right. And Lesser inclined the, the, to work nights now. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. And, and those that do, those that do, like there's one or two of them and they just can't possibly cover the whole mm. locality. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's difficult for them to do that. So, uh, like, ultimately, I, I would, I would, be sure of the fact that the in the taxi industry is not covering the nighttime economy uh, to the extent that it did before COVID or anywhere near it, and that's that's a big challenge of you know when you're trying to coax people back into habit, you, that's a real uh, handicap. To did that. the habit you know also I mean? change because we were talking earlier on about Deliveroo and Just Eat and the different apps? Are more people now choosing to eat at home? and have it delivered, or indeed maybe even experiment at home themselves and aren't going out as much. Bear in mind now as well, there's an awful lot more, um, uh, you know, pressure on their income and what they have coming into the house anyway. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I think it would have been more straightforward. For, for, for example, I, I think coming out of COVID would have been very straightforward if we didn't have uh, the cost of living crisis emerging very quickly afterwards. Uh, and things like taxis being being an issue, I, I think the industry would have been fine. Um, uh, I really do. Um, so uh, you know, takeaways were always there, and, uh, and Deliveroo have been there since before the COVID uh, pandemic. Obviously, people got into a habit of doing much more takeaway during that period as well. But I, that wouldn't have concerned me from a restaurant perspective at all. Um, I think the challenges are challenges at the moment are, as I mentioned, taxis. Uh, Staffing shortages less led, have led to shorter opening hours as well. You've the soaring cost of living, which is, makes people question 
you know, their spend uh, and all that. Yes. And, of course, then the huge increase in overheads that we're all experiencing, everybody in the household and in business. Um, but from our point of view, uh, in the restaurant trade, uh, we obviously prices have had to increase as a result. And uh, so against that, there's a proposition to increase the VAT by 50%. It's it just does not. I think they wanted to put manners. I think they wanted to put manners on hotels, right? But you guys got caught in the crossfire, perhaps. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe so. And in fairness, like in the hotel industry, there's a lot of fantastic hotels that don't do what they do in certain parts of the country. Dublin is obviously a highlighted place because you know you've you've an event on in Dublin, and there's events on in Dublin all the time. Hotels, certain hotels up there, certainly can raise their prices as much as eight hundred percent from what it, what it might be if the event wasn't on. I know it, and, I know it, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and everyone's frustrated with that, and I think, you know, for restaurants, hairdressers, and, and others that are part of the, the VAT race that we're all in together, uh, we often get tied up and bandied together unfairly because uh, these guys are wildly in, in increasing their prices to... to, to Everybody gets blamed. Everybody seems the same. I ju- no, I just wondered. You know, when I talk about you, talk about people's habits changing, and and we were talking this morning about takeout. Um, Mick Clifford in the Examiner says the food takeaway and delivery market in this country is now estimated to be worth every single year two point two billion annually. And Just Eat oh. is the market. Isn't it incredible? Just Eat yeah. is the market leader in Ireland, and it had a profit. Um, of uh, 14 million on a turnover of 65 million in 2021. So it is a massive part of the food industry, takeout and delivery. Um, They say that the average report from Just Eat in June found that the average consumer orders a takeaway three times a month, spending on average just under 50 euro each time. Um, and that's the average. There, I, I know. I know people get takeout three times a week, for God's sake. But you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Maybe just maybe that's the way habits have changed. Yeah. Well, look. I, I think those those Deliveroo uh, and, and, and people on those platforms. I, I think they're probably a little bit more city focused. Um, you know, they're not as prevalent in, in, in rural Ireland. I'd have thought. And uh, so, you know. We, we're still a bit Good more point. traditional, yeah. you know. People people ring in for takeaway, they collect us. No, their takeaways will deliver at local level. I would find uh, that they mightn't go beyond a five mile radius or even just out to the outskirts of town. So I don't think rural Ireland is as impacted by that. Um, I think in, in our industry, the impacts are, as I've mentioned, the costs. Um, the costs. And, uh, what about staffing? Staff. Yeah, staffing. Yeah, absolutely. Like we uh, restaurants, like you, you'll struggle to find restaurants open on Mondays and Tuesdays everywhere. Now, um, here's interesting: Mondays and Tuesday, you won't find them open. And then you find some of them. Then actually, more than some of them, a lot of them have a different and a much shorter menu earlier in the week, and only operate full menus later in the week and at weekends. Why? Why is that? Totally understandable. I. I believe it probably for two different reasons. One is they mightn't have the confidence to have a full menu at the start of the week. And from a business perspective, they might feel the business is there. And uh, secondly, they might be able to staff up um, accordingly at the start of the week. It you know, never so used to be that way, sure it didn't. No, it never, no, sure. Neil, we were a seven-day business for, you know, seven, what is it, 12, 14 years just before COVID. Uh, we haven't gone back to seven days. We, we'd like to. Uh, I'd say the, the impediments to that at the moment are we're probably not confident enough to do it really um, that the business may not be there I bet, I bet you to be there this month but you know when we get into September October November 
uh, I don't think uh, we'd have the confidence to do that just yet. And um, but it's interesting, like you know, the hotel and restaurant times they they don't expect a full recovery in our industry till 2026. You know, do you think and, there are too many restaurants though? When you look at Cork City um, and suburbs, they're everywhere. So. There's too I, much I, I don't. I don't. I, 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 like, sorry, the city, no, I, you, you'd have to forgive me. I, I'm not as... Okay, I'm, well, I'm I, can't, touch, I wouldn't be saying the same maybe about West Cork. And, as they yeah, used to be, but yeah. um, certainly I think you're going to see less of them. I think you're seeing more closures. You mentioned Molly's there in Middleton. Yeah. I think Molly's is an example of, I, I think you're going to see more of that, unfortunately. And that's without the VAT increase. That's just with the challenges that businesses have had since COVID. Um I really do. And I think VAT, putting up the VAT, which would be really, really poor, um, you know, it'd be a really impactful, negatively impactful uh, measure. I think you're going to have a seismic, uh, you know, amount of closures, unfortunately. Yeah, the Wild Goose Goose announced a closure because they said they can no longer pass on the cost increases to a very fine restaurant. They could no longer pass on the cost increases to patrons anymore. They just couldn't do it. And on the heart, they said they couldn't do it. See, this is it. They'd have a fear that, you know, we have to be very careful, Neil. I think, you know, people, the prices are going up. You could hit a tipping point and people will just change habit completely yeah, and then yeah. just go, you know what, yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to get my delivery. I'm going to cook at home. And you know what, it'd be an awful shame. There's like, there's 250,000 people working in Irish tourism, the largest regional employer. And we are playing with fire here. In terms of in terms of threatening of that increase here at this moment in time. Okay, let's see if Michael McGrath is listening. Nice to catch up, though, Barry. Yep. Uh, continued you success, too, and I wish you all of the very best. It's a, yeah, appreciate that. It's a super place you have. Poachers in in Bandon, well worth checking out, lads. Absolutely, one hundred percent recommend it. Just before I love you and leave you, and we'll pick it up tomorrow. Your calls are always welcome. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. If you have a story to share, email Neil at redfm.ie. But do get in touch and be part of the conversation to finish this morning as we head along into in the month of August. More family passes for fantastic tourist locations to give away right now. We have four family passes for the farm in Granada. And the kids can learn all about the Irish working farm, see all the traditional Irish animals that you'd see in a mixed farm back in the heyday of, say, the 1950s, your cattle and your sheep and your horses and your donkeys and your pigs and your chickens and your ducks. You don't really see all of those working and getting along on farms much anymore. So it would be reliving the old days and taking a trip back in time at the village in the farm in Granada. Doesn't it sound incredible? You'd be going back in time to 1950s to 1970s Ireland. The kids will love it. Before uh, electrification as well, walking through the hardware shops in the village into the forge where the blacksmith did the business for the horseshoes and going to a working milk parlour. It sounds fabulous. And if you're into uh, the machinery, you've got the Fergusons and the the Masseys and the Harris and the Massey Fergusons and all the equipment as well. So lots of fun, lots of outdoor activities. The barrel train ride, the zip wire, the pedal carts, the tractor and trailer ride. It goes on and on. They've got a fabulous fairy garden and they have the Haystack restaurant. So four family passes. You can check them out yourself www.visitthefarm.ie Four family passes for the farm in Granada. Callers 9, 10, 11 and 12. Pick up the phone 0818 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.